This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 Mickey, 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 Pishy, Pishy! are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Give me a new one. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Crace alongside, as always, the leader, the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? Uh, more death. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is bizarre. I don't, don't want to start every show with death, but here we are again. So after our horribly depressing segment last week that uh, drove many, many of our listeners to uh, the deep <laughs> pits of despair, we are back again to talk about people dying. So, yay. But everything else will be fun on the show, I think. Yeah, got a big show coming up. Talking about uh, <laughs> all kinds of great topic after we talk about you know somebody dying again. So it's bizarre. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Mike Hogwood here. Uh, some other stuff, just to let you guys know for the non-death section of the <laughs> show. Of course, we're gonna talk about All In uh, Evolves weekend uh, coming up. Uh, Daniel Bryan re-signing with WWE, bouncing around Japan. Yes, it is indeed coming back, uh, and possibly some other stuff along the way. But uh, yeah, we have to, I think, start. Uh, with Mike Hogwood, for people who don't know about Mike Hogwood, if the name doesn't ring a bell to you immediately, he was the uh, play-by-play announcer for ROH on HDNet. So if you never watched ROH on HDNet, um, you would maybe not have heard of Mike Hogwood unless you were a huge ACC sports fan. <laughs> then maybe you did. But uh, for our wrestling fans, you'll know him as the voice of ROH and HDNet. And uh, yeah, we had a Wednesday he died, so the day before recording this. I don't believe we have a cause of death disclosed quite yet. But And he wasn't super old either. Wasn't he like 63? I don't have that in front of me, but I know he wasn't. Super, super old. He was 65. 65, okay. And I had read that he had some sort of uh, stroke in July. Mm, okay. So, but that he had apparently recovered from and then, uh, I guess not fully recovered because here we are. Hey, but, he was doing uh, a game just like last week, right? <laughs> he was like working until the final Well, days. he did yeah. the... He did the um, he didn't work for the ACC anymore. He worked for the ACC sort of in the prime of his career. He was the uh, uh, basketball voice and the football voice of the ACC for probably about two decades. Um, This was when, you know, he worked for when things like Jefferson pilot and Raycom sports still dominated, like, uh, you know, the local regional sports scenes. And then really when, ESPN and, and, and the league sort of all, you know, had their own networks and things like that. He, he, you know, kind of phased, got phased out. Plus he was getting a little bit older, but he still was working. I, I just heard him call, um, the big South basketball tournament in March. He called all of those games. So, and I know he handled the big South's football media day this year. So he was working for the big South a lot. Um, in, in recent years. And he still did a lot of stuff with auto racing, which he did, you know, throughout his career. So this was a real sports guy who, you know, I mean, he was calling ACC basketball 
in, you know, the 80s and 90s, which means, you know, he called games with Tim Duncan and Grant Hill and, and you know, probably Michael Jordan and Brad Doherty and James Worthy and, you know, just name your ACC basketball star, you know, for that 20-year period. You know, this guy was the voice of the conference. And, um, it, and I thought it was a, a bit of an odd hire at the time when ROH brought him in, like a lot of other people. I was like, who, who is this guy? And, but he really, you know, I know a lot of people didn't like his ROH commentary, but I thought he acclimated himself well to it because he didn't try to, he stayed in his lane, which I think was important. He never tried to put himself off as some sort of wrestling expert. He set up, um, Prezak. He set up Dave Prezak very well. And he let Dave Prezak handle the pro wrestling heavy lifting. And it was also an inside joke and a bit that they would do with each other that Hogwood wasn't super experienced when it came to wrestling. You know, they would do this bit where, where Prezak would call, you know, you, you know, you know, a wrestling move with a funny name or something. And Hogwood would be like, what's that now? Or, you know, things like that, where they would do a bit because, you know, they didn't try to put him off as an expert. Um, you know, it was almost, in a weird way, he almost admitted that he was a novice to pro wrestling, but he was there to be um, a sportscaster. And it really fit the tone of the promotion at that time to have somebody like that. And it ended up working much better than I thought it would the first couple times that I saw him. He had good chemistry with Prezak, and, um, and, and he found a style of his own. He, he, he was kind of reminiscent of your old timey wrestling play by play guys, you know, like your Bob Caudles or your Lance Russell's or people like that. Um, in terms of his style and his cadence and letting his color man do the heavy lifting on the wrestling stuff. So it's kind of like he brought credibility to the booth, um, as opposed to trying to put himself over or to be boisterous. But of course, you know, he did develop a catchphrase. You know, with the slap the porpoise, which, <laughs> which everybody still remembers. Yes, yeah, he died, and everybody like Twitter just exploded with people saying slap the porpoise, which is is a testament. Because I mean, what when's the last time? I mean, what 2011? I think is when the HD net wrapped up. I think I have the timing right. Something like that. It's been a while. I mean, it's been a handful of years since like you know the, the HD net was a thing or Hogwood was a thing on 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 ROH's network, and everybody remembers slap the porpoise. Like every single person remembers slap the porpoise, and then maybe the gold boat as well. Why wouldn't you remember Slap the Porpoise? <laughs> it's, hey. it was a great catchphrase. He would say, for people who don't know, it's when a match would end or a guy would hit a big finisher and you knew it was just, you know, a formality at that point. You know, you, you know, you just think I think of a ROH wrestler from that time. I can't even think of Eric Stevens. Yeah, I don't yeah. <laughs> Eric Stevens would hit his big finish and 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 you go, one, two, slap the porpoise. And then, you know, it just it, it was that I don't know how he came up with that, but it's fucking great. And it was memorable. And that's and and you know, slap the porpoise is ultimately gonna be his pro wrestling legacy. And you know, there there's there's and you know, it, and catchphrases are a huge part of pro wrestling, and he had one. And he was he 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 understood wrestling enough to understand what it was and what his job was. He treated the job seriously and he put everybody over and ROH. Even in 2009, even though it was the Adam, Adam Pierce era and it wasn't your classic ROH, it still wasn't super silly where you had this serious sports commentator trying to put over, you know, inflated penises 
or or dead cheerleaders in caskets. ROH was never that over the top. Um, you know, at that that time in ROH, there were things like guys holding tights for the finishes and people, you know, using low blows for finishes. And there was a little more classic pro wrestling heel tropes than there had ever been under Gabe under Adam Pierce. But, you know, that stuff, it's still, he still fit the tone of the promotion just fine. And I think that he was, uh, he was pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't call him a great play by play guy, but he was pretty good. And he did a good job, especially considering his experience level. And uh, by all accounts, a very nice man. And um, and like I said, I just heard him call college basketball, you know, this past March. And I, and and from from that point forward, after he he because uh, after the HD Net era of ROH ended, he was gone. Um, from that point forward, I instantly recognized his voice whenever I came across him calling, you know, uh, a football or basketball game. It, he was just, you know, he just had a very distinctive voice, and uh, you know, he just called that basketball. So he was working right up until I guess that stroke in July, um, and yeah. So uh, you know, uh, Mike Hogwood passes away at sixty-five. Yeah, my my thoughts on him, and, and you echoed it a little bit there when you were talking about guys like a Lance Russell, a Bob Cottle. You're kind of old school wrestling announcers were a lot of times people might not remember this picked up from like news stations like you know lance russell famously you know just picked up from the news station like and he's just the guy that hey now you're doing wrestling or guys that you know were, were just doing other stuff were just put onto the wrestling show because it was a show on the network and whatnot and and we've kind of gotten away from that in recent years and wrestling announcers have become a thing of itself like you train to be a wrestling announcer you know what i mean you go to the performance center and you're tailored to be a wrestling announcer you're 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 groomed and whatnot to be a wrestling announcer and to me i've always appreciated the, the 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 pro broadcasters that are put in a wrestling situation like a guy like even like a tony shivani who who was plucked from you know doing baseball and stuff and eventually finds his way into doing wrestling and i think that is i think a, a much better way to do it because when they're pros they're going to be a pro you know what i mean like it, it, it seems simple but hogwood was always just hey i'm gonna call the action he, he acted like a play-by-play guy he acted like a sports play-by-play guy he acted like he was a professional broadcaster where he would just say enough to get you into the action and know what's going on and then let the color guy you know literally add color to it okay hey i'm just gonna explain what's going on i'm gonna let the color guy give you the details i'm gonna let you know what you're seeing on your screen but then the color guy is gonna really be the one that sort of adds a bunch more to it that adds a little bit of history that adds this sort of stuff and and to me i always like that classic idea i like the classic play-by-play guy so hogwood i always enjoyed a lot because he wasn't you know other than the slap the porpoise he wasn't a gimmick he wasn't a guy trying to get himself over he wasn't a guy that that seemed to lack credibility and that used to be the huge thing with pressing announcers is how credible are these guys you know how you know these guys are, are are people that you watch on your local news they can't just come out of this wrestling show and start being these these screaming idiots I always appreciate when you get the professional guys that do it, and and Hogwood was one of those, and 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 you know there so few of those guys still exist anymore. The guys that do everything, those professional broadcasters that do football, do basketball, do baseball, do can do wrestling. You know, what I mean, like no matter what you throw in front of them, they can do it, and and it's a testament. It's not an easy job. It's super hard to be able to be that good at that many things, and and now more and more we're seeing guys that are a lot more special specialized in one sport or whatever. But I enjoyed that Hogwood was sort of that throwback to those guys that could just do everything, and they're. And there are still some of your guys that still do it, some of your classic.
classic guys. And in, in terms of young guys, uh, I know you're uh, a pretty decent, uh, pretty big fan of him as well. He does, uh, you know, local White Sox games now. But Jason Benetti will be doing Syracuse football, and then he'll be doing, you know, some random basketball game, and then he's doing ba- like he can do anything. Like no matter what you put that guy in front of, he'll find a way to make it work. And 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 because they're pro broadcasters, and and Hogwood was that as well. Where yeah, it took a, it, it took a little bit of time for him to get the idea of wrestling, but after a few weeks, he was there. He already had it. Like. But I think what the the most endearing thing about him was is like you said he didn't try to act like he knew a bunch. He didn't try to act like he became an expert of wrestling overnight. He knew he didn't quite understand it. He was just going to do his job as a play by play guy, and 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 let Prezak, who I think was the perfect color guy for him too, because Prezak is a wrestling encyclopedia. He is the Mike Tenay of of you know the modern indies, where just no matter what you say, Prezak knows all the background of that guy, all the history, all that sort of stuff. So I thought that combo of those two were great. Hogwood calling the action, being the straight man. And Prezak then sort of filling in the gaps and adding that color. So I really enjoyed the team. I know some people didn't like that, but I think a lot of that comes from we're used now to the the classic pro wrestling announcer who is just a, a wrestling announcer. You know what I mean? Really lays it on thick as much as they can, is always screaming, is always, ha- you know, always that sort of stuff. Whereas sometimes I, you know, and, and I don't I don't necessarily want think that everybody needs to, to agree or whatnot, but I'm just saying that I always enjoy kind of the straight and narrow play-by-play guys. A Hogwood to me is, is fine. Like those sort of guys and, and your classic guys, your Coddles, your, your Lance Russells or whatnot, I enjoy that aura of respectability, that aura of professionalism from a, a play-by-play guy. So Hogwood I always enjoyed a lot. Yeah, those kind of guys, that, that, that's it. They bring credibility uh, to the booth. Um, Ed Whalen in Calgary was another one. Um, you know, who was a sportscaster slash guy who worked for the TV station, um, who eventually became very well known for for calling pro wrestling. Ed Whalen, I mean, you know, he 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 actually put a stop to a bunch of angles and stuff up there because of things he didn't, you know, you know, angles he didn't like and, and things of that sort. He kind of overstepped his bounds a little bit. A lot of times, these guys would have power with the television stations. And they'd be a pain in the neck for the promoter because, you know, they, they, they put the stop on something they don't like or whatnot. But, um, but yeah, so you're never going to see that kind of guy again, um, you know, get a job calling wrestling matches. It's just different now. You know, it's like you're saying you, you, it's, it's, it's the role has changed and, 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 you know, with the territories, it was, it was very commonplace to see, like you said, they just hire someone from the TV station yeah. <laughs> to call the match. Who's doing weather? All right. You're doing wrestling. Now. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Dave Brown's another one. I mean, you can go on and on, you know, and it's just, you're never, you're never going to see that again. Um, you know, a lot of times now, especially in WWE, a lot of the, the people in their broadcast booths are just wrestlers that flamed out, you know, guys that, that didn't work out as pro wrestlers and, you know, maybe they have a good look. Maybe they're well-spoken. You know, your Byron Saxton types is a perfect example. You yeah, know, he's Corey he's, Graves, another great example too. Yeah. Corey Graves. I mean, these guys are telegenic and they're well-spoken and um, you know, it's, it's just because it didn't work out in the ring for whatever reason, you know, Corey Graves with the concussions, Byron Saxton, because he just wasn't very good. You know, there's, there's still, they find roles for them, you know, behind a microphone and, and, and you're, you're more likely um, to come up that way now, then they're not going to hire the sports director at the local W, what you know, Alphabet Soup television station. It's just not going to happen anymore. But uh, that's kind of an announcer he was. Um, maybe the last of that dead breed, you know, maybe that's what he was, uh, the, the last of that. Um, but, uh, and it wasn't a long run, it was maybe just a year or a little over a year that he had that role. But um, but everyone is always going to remember slap the porpoise. It just how can you not? It's just a fantastic, fantastic catchphrase and 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 way to call the end of a match. Just just great. I don't know how he came up with it. I'd love to know the story. 
Um, but it, you know, it, it was it was just great. And, and and like you said, Prezak, he's a nerd. He's a wrestling. Oh, Prezak was the perfect like, guy for him because anything that Hogwood didn't know, Prezak absolutely knew, one hundred percent every single time. I, I love the Prezak's a guy. Too. I mean, he's a guy who would fly in from Chicago to go to ECW shows when he was twenty years old or whatever it was. You know what I mean? He's a wrestling nerd. So, you know, and, 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 you know, like you said, that, that was the perfect compliment, uh, for Hogwood, who sometimes would just straight up say, go, uh, you know, Dave, what is, you know, he, he just asked him straight up, like, uh, you know, tell me about this guy or, you know, what does this hold do? Or, right. Which is actually, you know, to me, and, and we, we laugh at WWE a lot for doing the, everybody that watches, it's like the first time they've ever watched, but for ROH and HD net, I think it might've been a good idea to have a guy like a Hogwood who was sort of your representative of your casual fan of like, well, Hey, expand on this for me. You know, Hey, what, what is good? What, but you know, less so of like repeating stories thousand times every single second. It was more of, Hey, what, what is this guy? Or what's a little background of this guy? Or what's that move or whatnot, which is actually probably a pretty good idea to do when you're on a brand new network and you're a company like Ring of Honor, where the stuff that's happening is unlike you've seen from normal wrestling there was moves and 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 things happening that you wouldn't see on a normal wrestling show or that you maybe hadn't seen if you watched in the attitude area you grew up on hulk hogan or whatnot so i think it actually did work out quite well for that being that combination of the two yeah yeah it ended up being a pretty charming broadcast team TV wasn't always good, but hey, that's not his fault. So that was, that was a period where, you know, the HD net and, and we, we, I, do you look positively on the HD net era? Or do you look negatively? I feel like I look negative, but I, I, I probably shouldn't because there was some good in there, but it just kind of felt like so much of a change of the guard period for, for Ring of Honor to me that it, it, it reflects negatively, even though it probably had its, it, its fair share of good stuff. I'll, I'll never, I went to the first taping and I remember standing there with my friend. And just looking at each other and, you know, the non-licensed music was a kick in the balls. And then it was really short. It was television matches, which we weren't used to at Ring of Honor. And it was a lot of bullshit heel finishes. And the entire tone of the promotion changed with that first TV taping. And everyone in the building felt it. And it was at first kind of sad. Because, you know, I loved Ring of Honor at that time and what they were doing. But look, it was a it was a change in, in, in bookers and they felt that they needed to change the product to make it fit for TV. And more importantly, Carrie Silken felt that they needed to change the product to grow their audience. They felt like they completely tapped out the hardcore wrestling nerd DVD buying audience, which is why they made that booking change. Not because Gabe was doing a poor job, but because that style of wrestling that 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 Gabe was creating and putting forth and and, and booking was just it, it, Silken felt they had reached their ceiling with that, and the company wasn't going to be able to grow unless they tried something different. And that's where Adam Pierce came in. And I think looking back at that era, I do look at it negatively, but only because the Ring of Honor that I preferred was then gone was gone, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of. But I think. It'd be an interesting rewatch to go back and watch it, Eric, because there was a lot of great stuff. You know, there were still great matches in Ring of Honor during that time. There was just a lot of D'Lo Brown holding people's tights for pins and and the embassy going full on heel. You remember Necro Butcher in the embassy? And Oh, yes. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> I think I'm trying to remember, but I, I'm pretty sure I did go to an ROH uh, on HDNet taping as well. And like you said, I'm, I'm trying to confirm exactly the dates that I that I went, but I remember it just being this like it was like a five, it was a four or five hour taping, and it was just absolutely, it was just 
whole, and there was like gaps between the matches because I think they were doing live to tape. So they had like they did do live to tape. Yeah, so they had like these bridges in there for like commercial breaks, and you're just sitting there in the arena, like what the fuck is going on? And and that's one of those famous ones where you said, you know, Carrie will find his way out. You know, if if if, if the show wasn't yeah. good, Carrie would bear like he couldn't get out of this one. Like he was there, and people were like, Carrie, what the hell's going on? Like no, 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 like because this show did not end. If I remember correctly, I'm trying to find the exact date. It didn't end until like midnight. Like this thing had started at like six thirty seven until midnight because there was like they were trying to you know tape like a week's worth of stuff with live to tape it just was and like you said you'd, you'd get this big gap of time which was the commercial you come back and it's you know headbangers versus you know whatever the hell they or like yeah d'lo brown versus you know jerry lynn or whatever you're like, what the fuck is this this is not ring of honor that's this right. is what i've been going to for the last five years what the hell is this so yeah there probably is good stuff in the hg net and I'd, I'd love to actually go back and, and rewatch a lot of it because i think i was always kind of bitter towards it because it had taken away my ring of honor you know what i mean it replaced yeah, my ring of exactly honor it. and it's like fuck even if it was still very good like if it was better than the baseline of whatever you were getting in other companies it was still they had they had yanked it from me, like almost out of nowhere. It felt like overnight they just yanked. Like you said, you're at that arena and it's just different. And it's just like, oh no, this isn't what I've been to. Like it was comfort. And 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 the security blanket that Ring Around had been for me for five, six years or whatever was now just yanked out of there. And I was shivering and like, oh no, like what is this? I don't a, like it at all. Yeah. It was a drastic and yeah. immediate change. It wasn't gradual. It was just this now. And everyone coming out to just generic. Oh my God! Um, that, and you don't realize that. usage metal music instead right. of their yeah. I mean, imagine just... that. Imagine the Sandman coming out to like you're watching ECW on TNN. Let's say after once that ECW on TNN happened, and they just you know Sandman just doesn't have Enter Sandman anymore. You know what I mean? Like Brad Van Dam just doesn't have Walk anymore. Like it, it absolutely that was a big part of it in Ring of Honor. And people I think do kind of underrate that. I know we've talked about it a little bit on on Music of the Mat, which uh, on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. But that is ROH was great at the music as well. The, the some of the guys just had songs that were perfect for them that just matched them to a T and then yeah like that first run out of, of HD net music was like stock you know yes. rock song number 14 or whatever it was just like oh it was God. All, yeah it was all stock metal it was yeah all it was all public so domain yeah. it was all public domain metal like everyone came out to, to really bad metal riffs and it was just you know non-distinctive and yeah and even the the you know guys that you don't necessarily associate with great walkout music. It was still, it's, 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 you still associate them with the, the music that they came out to, even if it wasn't a classic entrance. And this was just, and then they'd come out and they'd have these, you're at an ROH show and you're ready to settle in. And then they're just having these six or seven minute little WWE style TV matches. And it just was all wrong. And like you said, it was just like, uh, it just, it, it made you, you didn't want to like it because it, it was, it was not the product that you had grown to love over the previous three or four or five years or whatever it was. So yeah, I think because of that, I do think now you go back and Brian Danielson was still there and Chris hero, and they were still bringing in Kenta and you had the rise of Tyler black and you had Nigel McGinnis there. And there was, there was still a lot of good stuff. And I mean, I remember going to, you know, I guess you would call them house shows once that era had, had kicked in. You know, I remember seeing the Nigel McGinnis, um, you know, Kenta main event in, 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 um, in Hammerstein um, that, you know, that, that, you know, that was a great show and you still had great stuff with the Briscoes and, 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 but it's just the TV stuff was just, and, 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 and then some of that did bleed in to your rank and file, you know, DVD shows or, or house shows or whatever you want to call them. Um, and ultimately, I do think for ROH historians or fans, um, they'd probably look back at the Adam Pierce era 
as well, maybe the cornet era would be the worst era, right? I mean, you yeah. look back at at least fondly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would probably be the so. cornet era. Yeah, the Pierce era um, was just like boring at times and kind of annoying, but like the, the cornet era was like drastically like bad. Like, you know, you know, it was like you were taking things that were good and, and ruining them about Ring of Honor. So I'd say the cornet era probably, yeah. Cornet era, it's just the friends of cornet with <laughs> the head Mike Mondo. And the headbangers and Charlie the guardians, the guardians of justice, or guardians, and then they were unmasked as the headbangers. And then, scum. but you know, wasn't that the peak of the scum thing, too? I don't know. I don't know if he booked that. scum. That might have been whoever booked scum needs to that might have been the first delirious. Um, right, that wasn't Cornette, I don't think, who booked scum. Um, but yeah, that was awful. But it was just Cornette brought in all of his OVW guys, and because you know, you got to teach these indie kids how to work. And all that sort of thing, and um, but so yeah, it, it'd be either the Cornette or, or Pierce era that people would look back uh, the least fondly of. But I think it might be a little unfair to that Pierce era because there was some carryover, and there mm-hmm. were still a lot of great matches and great shows um, while Pierce was in charge. That is uh, Mike Hogwood and a little uh, ROH uh, <laughs> aside there. But uh, yeah, of course, uh, if you get a chance to uh, check out any of Hogwood's work, if you've never heard it before. Uh, it's worth a try, and and at least uh, at at the very least, go on YouTube and look up "Slap the Porpoise" on Mike Hogwood, and at least get get an idea of that call. Because, uh, yeah, it was it was it's it's like you said, his endearing legacy in in, in pro wrestling is the "Slap the Porpoise." So good stuff. And, yeah, and, and all those when he was calling all those squash matches with Andy Right Leg Ridge and Orange Cassidy <laughs> and and Mitch Franklin and and you know all because the, they had it was ROH now had TV jobbers, which was bizarre too. You know, so and and it was the same cast of characters. Yeah, Alan, Sugarfoot Pain, uh, what was it? Alex yeah, Sugarfoot Pain, I believe. Yeah, 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 Alex Sugarfoot Pain. Yeah, Bobby Dempsey you know? for a while there too. So, mm-hmm. good stuff. All right, so let's get to the other stuff we want to talk about uh, this week. Of course, uh, at the top of the list that we have to have to talk about is All In Joe. All In uh, Saturday uh, from the Sears Center. Of course, a uh, amazing show from top to bottom i really enjoyed it we'll talk about it a little bit more as we kind of go through the matches i'll talk a little bit about the business aspect so far and i want to get your reactions to this so uh the announced attendance from a few different sources we have is 11 263 joe where do you leave what does that number sort of do for you are you are you is that a positive number a negative that a number that you may be uh suspicious of any anything with that 11 263 that stands out to you i mean look the thing the thing about the attendance and some of the other numbers you're going to talk about and the show itself there's really no way to approach analyzing anything about this show without calling it a, a an absolute home run um from a business perspective from an attendance perspective from and and from a show quality perspective and from the buzz coming out of the it's just a home run. It's a fuck. This wasn't even a home run. It was a grand slam. This was beyond, I think, even the promoters' wildest expectations of how successful all of this was. And no matter if you're someone who was dragging your feet and didn't really want to see these guys succeed, or you wanted to see them eat some crow, or whether you were someone who was rooting for them, or whether you were someone who was totally non-biased and just watching from afar, uh, totally indifferent. I don't think anyone can realistically bash this show in 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 any meaningful way um, without losing a great deal of credibility. It was just an absolute total grand slam of a show in every aspect 
the likes of which you rarely see. I, I mean, I can't even find an angle to be negative in any way on this. So the attendance, you know, the announced attendance of 11,000 plus, look, we all know that building was full. You were in it. Um, is the 11, what is it? 11,263? Is that what you uh, said? Yeah, 11,263. Yes. Which they're putting on a t-shirt now, of yeah, course. Yeah, you're going to buy a t-shirt, of course. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, whether that number is real or not, it, we all know that there were 10,000 people there. You know, we all know it was sold out. Um, so, you know, if they fluffed it up a little to sell a t-shirt, why wouldn't they just sell a t-shirt that said 10,000? I mean, I don't know, but it is pro wrestling. They pump it up a little. I don't, I, maybe, but what does it matter? We all know they filled it in 29 minutes or whatever it was. Right. And there wasn't a seat to be had either. And that, that's the th- thing as well. Regardless of whatever it was, it, it, it's still optics wise. It looked great. The building looked spectacular. Everybody was full. There was uh, uh, sky boxes or, or suites, I should say, uh, around the entire arena. People, those were all filled as well. Like everybody was there. There wasn't a, a seat to be had in the entire place. Nobody could go anywhere. Uh, standing room only. I mean, it was it was packed in there. So regardless of what, whether it's 10,000 and, 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 and one or whatever, or just straight 10,000 or whatever, it's still it, it's still a tremendous accomplishment for, for one way or another whether that number really kind of stands out or whatnot but uh we'll get to the show here in a bit but a few other rich the um, the, the, the sub the sub faction of a faction <laughs> ran a produce show and sold out a ten thousand seat build right using a youtube show uh, to build all of their storylines yes with no television <laughs> right. unless you want to argue a mention here or there on roh tv um they really didn't get any kind of push or exposure for it via new japan um, you know, it, it's just, it, so yeah, it's just an incredible accomplishment. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I mean, we, we talked about it last week, but there's, I mean, there, there's been, you know, for, for people that want to say, oh, well, they're, 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 and qualify with anything. Well, well, nobody did it. You know what I mean? Like nobody else fucking did it. Nobody else in this I, I don't country. Even I don't even think anyone's doing that. I right. mean, at this point, because yeah, it's no, just, no. everyone had to, like, no, anybody who was negative. Here's, not, had to here's, what we're seeing. here's what we're saying. You want to look at people who there's some people saying, that don't believe for one second that these three guys put up their own money and promoted this thing. And they think Sinclair really ran this show. Um, the, the thing I'm skeptical of, of the, I've seen, you know, theories that Sinclair and Bushi, oh, this was a Sinclair and Bushi road show. Who are they kidding? Here's the thing. If Sinclair put up the money for this thing, why wouldn't they want the credit for it too? Right. It, it doesn't seem like it's very advantageous to Sinclair to secretly fund a show and get none of the accolades for it. Um, that doesn't make sense to me. It's just far fetched. I look. They they said that they used Sinclair production, meaning Sinclair. yeah, which they admitted from the beginning. I mean, when, when if you if you listen to my press, you know, when I had a chance to talk to Cody after the uh, press conference, the the initial all in press conference before tickets went on sale, she straight up said we're using ROH's production. I mean, I, I so, so here's the thing. And, said and that. Yeah. Here, here's my thing about that. Who cares? Yeah, right. Who cares? If you cut a deal with Sinclair to use their ring and their lighting rigs and their stage. And they're people, and you're paying them for that. Or even if they're just doing it for nothing, if they if they if they did it for nothing, that means you cut a great business deal. I I don't see this as a knock. And if you're paying them to use their production and their equipment, well, then why would anyone care about that? They were either gonna and if Sinclair told them no, they just would have went to someone else. I mean, I, I don't understand that as a critique. Even if Sinclair did it for nothing, just to do these guys a favor in hopes that they'll re-sign with them in four months, 
I still don't see that as a knock. I see that. Ask any promoter in the country if they would use someone's free production if they could, and they'll tell you they would. And I don't understand why that's a knock for having business associates or pals who will do that for you. But you know, while they openly admit that they used ROH's production, we still we don't know whether they paid Sinclair for that. Um, you know, but either well, way, and somebody had to pay somebody too, because for 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 what it's worth, and, and I don't know if anybody really knows, it's kind of inside baseball or whatnot, but it's not like Sinclair has the stuff just laying around all the time. They hire an outside company. Like I, I watched them put it together, and it's some I don't know what the name of the company was, but it was EVG Productions or something. You know, what I mean, it's just some outsourced company that I'm sure is not working for free. So somebody pays them somewhere along the line, exactly. whether it be it's, whether it be Sinclair, Sinclair saying, "Hey, we'll pay him," and you know, yeah, you know, do a you know, we'll do you a favor, we'll do that or whatever. Or if they said, "Hey, we'll chip in half," or we'll do whatever it's not like sinclair just rolls up with a bunch of trucks and says all right guys it's all yours like somebody's paying somebody you know what I mean? like it's not just this I, and again, given. yeah exactly and again i don't know why that's a knock did you expect these guys to buy their own <laughs> right, it would be ridiculous. They, would, they wouldn't run the show they would not run the show if that was going to be the case you know what i mean for, they, a, for what could have been a one-off show because at that time they didn't know if they were going to sell two thousand tickets yeah. or ten thousand so uh, those critiques are silly. I think the, <laughs> the idea that fucking light grid in their garage now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like there's just a jumbotron just sitting in their backyard. I mean, I, I think that's just cutting good deals. And, yeah. and and I think that you know this idea that Sinclair was funding the show. I mean, I I don't buy that for one second. I think that um, that would be very. They would want the credit for that. For for you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. So. Um, yeah and, yeah, and again, like I, I don't know. Again, like we're, we're kind of coming, but I, I've had, I had contact with a bunch of people that were working on the show just to get, to get my press credentials and all that sort of stuff. And at one, at, at not a single point that I talked to anybody who had like direct affiliation with Sinclair, the company. You know what I mean? Like maybe people that were signed to Ring of Honor or people that have worked with Ring of Honor in the past, but it was never like guy at Sinclair. It wasn't the PR guy at Sinclair Broadcasting or whatever. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was former wrestlers, current wrestlers. Those were the guys that I worked with. Guys that were on the show, guys that worked, you know, in the be- behind the scenes in the show, but it wasn't a Sinclair corporate thing at any point. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was talking to their HR director or their PR director or whatnot. You know, it was, it was, you know, guy. Yeah, I don't want to name names or whatever, but just like you know, it, it wasn't your run of the mill guys that would probably be doing this sort of stuff for for a larger company. I I just think it's silliness. Yeah, you know, I just think that stuff is silliness, and I think um, to go against, I guess my the my own advice that I'm about to give, I think it's just best to ignore it. Um, even though I just spent five minutes on it. <laughs> uh, some other stuff here before we kind of get into the show itself. Uh, Wrestling Observer reported this at the gate uh, for the event totaled a little over $450,000. I'll uh, just kind of give you an idea here for that. A 2011 Strike Force show that was uh, at the same arena at the Sears Center uh, drew 8,000 fans, a little over 8,000 fans, and that had a gate of a little over 600,000 as well. So that was, I think most people sort of said that the tickets were probably underpriced for this all in show, which I get like, you know, first time run, uh, you have no idea. Everybody pretty much to a man said that once those tickets went on sale, they were surprisingly cheap, surprisingly, you know, affordable. And when they sold out in 29 minutes, it was like, Oh, they really should have upped these prices a little bit. So you're left with, uh, a minorly underwhelming, you know, gate total, a little under 500,000, a little over, uh, you know, 4,500 or 450,000. Um, any any kind of takeaways you can come from that, that gate number? Okay, so this is where if you want to knock this show in some way, I guess this is the angle you would take. The ticket should have been more money. Yes. And they should have run a bigger building. Correct. I think that's very clear at this point. But here's the thing. 
at the time when they said they were going to do this. It was nuts. It was ludicrous. (laughs) Exactly. It was overly – everyone and their mother thought it was overly ambitious to attempt to draw 10,000 fans. So with the benefit of hindsight, they should have run a bigger building and charged more for the tickets. Um, now, unless you were out there screaming initially, ah, they should run MSG and charge $400 for ticket, then fine. Then you can gloat about them underselling themselves right. here. We were both, I believe, very – I thought they were going to get to that 10000 eventually, but I did not think it would be 29 minutes. You know what I mean? I thought they everyone thought it was overly <laughs> right. ambitious. So, you know, but, but that's really the only angle you can – it was like with the benefit of hindsight, you can definitely say they undervalued the show in multiple ways. And the thing about it is if they do run another one, and I would bet my home that they run another, they're, they're running another show. Okay. I, I just, I know that they're running another show when they run the, the next one. The problem is, okay. The problem they run into is do we charge more for tickets and do we try the bigger building, but the second show won't have the novelty of being the first show. Sure. So will we lose a little something there and, or do we just, and and another theme that they hammered all along in the buildup of selling the tickets was, look, this is going to be an affordable show. Your common fan is going to be able to go to this thing. If you're a Bull Club fan, if you're a Being the Elite fan, if you're a New Japan, if you're just a wrestling fan, you're going to be able to get in this building and watch the show. That was a big pushing point for them. So can they turn around on the next one and jack up the pricing? It kind of changes their whole vibe as well if they do that. So, but there's no question they could have charged more for tickets and there's no question they could have attempted to sell more seats. Uh, some other uh, business notes here between all in and the Starcast, fight TV pulled in over $1 million in pay-per-view sales. So Dave uh, says that works out to about 20,000, uh, uh, pay-per-view buys between the two events. So the split between those, we don't know. All we know is over the weekend between Starcast, all in fight TV pulls in a million dollars in I pay-per-view. I have to think, and you tell me if you disagree, I have to think that at least 90% of that is for the show. <laughs> I, would, I would assume. I, I would. mean, who the fuck paid to <laughs> we, watch? We had, a, we had a, a, a reviewer that posted on our website. So Cody McNally, he paid. But uh, yeah, I don't know how many other people were, were, were paying you know, $90 to watch Eric Bischoff and R.D. Reynolds. Is that what it that, cost? WCW panel, yes. It cost ninety dollars to was, watch. I, I don't remember if it was ninety, eighty, or se- it was somewhere it was seventy plus. It was it was somewhere around there. I mean, you were getting Joe, Joe. You were getting like eight hours a day of 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 raucous content. So I, you know what I mean. Like you were getting a lot of content. But do you want to see any of that content? Eh, that's another question. No, <laughs> I don't want to see any of that content. Um. Yeah, I know. I got to think that. Look, I think it's safe to say that they sold about twenty thousand pay per views. Now, they're, they're, so they're going to split up that million. You know, with Conrad, I would think the split's going to be about, you know, 900,000, 100,000. It's got to be a 90-10 split minimum, I would think. Um, what I'm most interested in in the pay-per-view numbers, I cannot analyze that because we haven't seen pay-per-view numbers for, you know, uh, for, for years. I mean, what? when's the last time we saw an Impact slash TNA pay-per-view number? Right, yeah. I, I have nothing to <laughs> Quite to, a while. To, yeah, yeah there's no basis. I have no idea. I, 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 yeah, is that good? Is that bad? Is that normal? Is it? I, I don't know. I have no fucking. Clue. I, yeah. But at least now we have a baseline number. You know, in the future we can say, oh well, you know, this show did, 
um, 30,000 buys all in did about 20,000. So yeah, I'd like it, to see, like, I, and I don't know if it's off my head, like a Joey Janela spring break or whatever. Like, what did that do? Or, you know, the Lost in New York show from a few weeks ago. What did that do compared to this one? Like other ones on Fight TV that we can sort of judge by, but I don't know that we uh, have access to those numbers right now. But Yeah, the Janela show was on Fight, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So it's same service, you know, same sort I'd of niche stunned. thing or whatnot. No, I mean, it, it all in sold more than Lost in New York. No, 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 no. That. I, that's not where I was going with that. I mean, obviously, I'd be stunned if something like that did more than 2,000 buys. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I really. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I which, do which, is numbers massive, which is massively successful for right. you know, Game Changer to do that because i mean we we've talked to wrestling promoters who run iPay-Per-View and they they've had shows that do like 12 buys like you know it's ridiculously low numbers you know like i had someone tell me i'd love for one of my shows to do 100 buys someone told me that a couple of years ago and and, it, and i think it would surprise people if they knew the names of some of those promotions <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you would assume, they're bigger indies and you would assume oh they're doing a couple thousand it's really not as much as you think when it comes to this stuff um, so I would think something like a Janela show, if all in did 20 to 25,000 buys, uh, the game changer show, I'd be, I'd be shocked if it did more than two or 3000 buys. And I would consider that a huge success if it did that many. Um, so yeah, other than that, it's hard to analyze. I mean, do you think if I put a gun to your head, yeah, that would be mean number one. But number two, but you need an answer. I mean, you know what I mean. You, you, I need there's an no better way to get an answer than you know than to put a gun to someone's head, especially in these pressing pay per view wrestling pay per view questions. <laughs> right. It seems aggressive, but I get it. I get it. You're, um, it's Texas. You know, things are different in Texas. So. Do you think All In did more buys than that last Impact pay per view? Oh God, yes. Yeah. 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 So do I. I mean, Impact's doing. But here's the thing. You know, you say that, and you know, Impact's doing two hundred thousand viewers a week. How many people are watching Being the Elite? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, their, um, their subscriber numbers are, just to kind of give you an idea, the subscriber numbers are around, I think, let, let, let me fire it up just so I have the exact number. It might have changed uh, over the uh, past few days, but I believe their subscriber total, uh, a little over 200,000, 241,000. Uh, about the right same. Now. But yeah. the thing is, they have a much, 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 much more devoted and loyal fan base. Yeah, I mean, they convert. I mean, just to give you an idea, the go-home episode, the the, the aptly titled go home episode of being the elite had 202,000 views. So that's, you know, of course, you know, you're not converting every single one of those subscribers into viewers. Now every single one of those viewers is a subscriber, but still, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, the bullet club invades raw that, that famous video that has 794 yeah. or 749,000. So they pretty much get over 200 to 400,000 views every single, you know, show that they do. So yeah, they convert. A lot more. I mean, their their backstage one, the one that they posted just a, a day ago, they're like forty five minute backstage one, is already really close to two hundred thousand. It's one hundred fifty three thousand right now. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a much more loyal, even if it's a more niche audience, it's a much more loyal and 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 willing to pay audience than than maybe your Impact TV viewer is. I think Impact probably does about five thousand pay per view buys. That'd be my guess. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, which. You know, it's actually so, a lot, you know, again, like we say, like, you know, you're sort of you talk to these promoters, like go and go and see how much these some of your fly by night eye pay-per-views don't, you know, yeah, like you might think yeah, there's a little mean, circle of fans are talking about it and all your buddies are talking about it, but well, your buddies are probably everybody that's watching it. So that's, that's and the who knows if they're watching it legally and all those yeah. sorts of things. Um, but I mean, yeah, so I, 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 again, I don't know what to do with that number other than $1 million looks good to me. Yes, I like $1 million. <laughs> that sounds good. 
So that number looks good. I don't know what to do with the 25,000 buys though. And I'm going to assume at least 90% were for the wrestling. I can't imagine. And I, I really think that's low. I mean, if you told me 98% of those buys were the wrestling show, like who's buying Starcast and not buying Joe, the wrestling show? There's some, I, you know, I would like to laugh about it, but there, there probably is way more percent than you think that would be interested in seeing Scott okay, Hall, Kevin Nash, were, and Xbox do an NWO seminar. You know what I mean? Like it, you, it, were, you were at Starcast. I was. Yes. You said it was a pretty sad scene. Uh, to be fair, okay, so <laughs> when I was there, I went there Friday during the day at like 10 a.m., 10 to 11 a.m. It was kind of sad then. I went back on Sunday, and it was a little less sad, if that makes sense. That's so fact. Friday during the day may have not been the best barometer for what was going on there. And it was okay. the one thing, and, and again, I'm not trying to like cover up or whatever, but it was kind of tough to know because everything was in these different areas. There was The layout was, because when you have the idea of like a convention, Joe, when I say it's going to be a convention, you assume that it's like this giant building, you walk in, maybe this grand hall or whatnot, and all this stuff going on there, right? Like you would assume when you hear convention that, like I, that's how I think of convention, sure. right? This was not a hotel that was set up for convention. This was a hotel that had hallways and meeting rooms. And that sort of led to a lot of weird ideas of, okay, where do, where do these people stand? Where do these people go? Like, I think they did a pretty good job with it, all things considered. But, like, you walk in and there's just a door and there's a big line around the door. And then there's, like, another door. And then there, it, it was basically hallways and, like, meeting rooms, which are set up for, like, you know, companies to have donuts and talk about, you know, Q3 or, like, a training seminar for, right, like, right, right. some insurance company or what. It wasn't set up for, like, giant convention. This wasn't a convention center hotel. This was a hotel. So just wander right. the halls of your normal hotel and assume that like every one of those meeting rooms was taken up by like X-Pac and Sean Mooney or whatever. That's essentially what this was or whatnot. And then, you know, there was another crew that was in the basement. I don't even know what this room in the basement was, but you had to go to the basement. And then there was another kind of group of people in this like weird basement meeting room or whatnot. And then there was basically just the lobby was infiltrated with like stages and, and, and tables and whatnot. Like this entire hotel became StarCast. This was StarCast, you know, ground zero this hotel but it wasn't like you watched in the hotel and it was normal and they said okay the the convention is that way and then you turn the corner and then the convention was there you were elbow to asshole with with people from starcast like everybody that was in that hotel in the lobby in the waiting rooms everywhere was wrestling fans it was a little bit different than what you would assume quote unquote a convention would be so it was kind of hard to gauge exactly where everybody was so our instincts were good oh yes yes they were very good um, so this <laughs> the afford, the topic of a few months ago, our instincts were very very good on that. So yeah. So this podcast row that we would have been slapped in, you know, with your blade job and chair shot shows, was essentially a meeting room with a bunch of geek podcasts. Uh, no, we 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 wouldn't have even gotten the meeting room. We would have gotten the hallway, hallway. next to a meeting room. Yes. Okay. So so did you see podcast row in operation? I did. Yeah, and it was. Um, a, a lot scene. of it was not great, yeah. And I, and again, like the problem was is 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 you know for for podcasting where they put the people was not ideal because it was loud. I mean, they were in they were essentially a, a row of tables, or I should yeah, a row of tables in front of a line to get into a meeting room or whatever to get into one of the seminars or whatnot. So people are waiting in line, they're talking, they're yapping it up. Like you, clean audio would have been horrible to get. Like from a pure audio standpoint, like my OCD would have gone nuts because you, you were just going to be gathering. Everybody that was talking, people could just walk up at any point. It wasn't, it wasn't a very secluded area to to record good audio, if that makes sense. So yeah, it would not have been 
ideal. And also I, the idea of like doing eight hours of, I, I don't know what we would have done. I honestly have no idea what we would have done for eight hours a day. Right. Right. So Rich opting for uh, Westwood one along with WrestleNomics and a few other shows that don't need to be named because they're not on our network. So, you know, to hell with them, but hooking up with Westwood <laughs> one, I've been very nice people this all week. <laughs> so where the hell with them. So, um, where is the Westwood one setup where they were gracious enough to allow us to use their equipment to, to record our own podcast, which we have no financial ties to them whatsoever. So um, wh- where was that? Was that in a, the same hotel and where was that in relation to the rest? Cause that was not affiliated with Starcast at all. It was not. No. So it was, it was in the same lobby uh, of the hotel. So basically when you walked into the front doors of, of, uh, the hotel you had uh, to the right was like I said the the, the podcast row which was just a row of of, of tables next to a, a a room then you had kind of the front desk and and this stage was almost closer to the front desk it was kind of like a little to the south of the front desk or whatever so it was in the lobby but it was off to the side a little bit it wasn't in the there was kind of your whole little Starcast area like I said you walk in and and oh, basically everything had been taken over by Starcast but there was a little section to the left that was kind of this own weird area it was like a, an exit door that you could go out of and it was our the stage, the Westwood one and, and podcast movement stage. Uh, and then just a little bit above us was the uh, 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 XM radio had a stage as well set up for bus and open. Uh, they weren't always there the entire time, but they had a stage as well. That was kind of in front of where we were. So it was a so little it wasn't just Conrad set up in this hotel. Sirius XM was there. Correct. Westwood one was there. Correct. There were other entities there. So he didn't have ex- exclusivity with this hotel. Although, you know, Starcast was was clearly um, you know the dominant uh, in terms of uh, amount of people. There sure, were yeah. and I don't know what the agreement up. was. I don't know if it was like a yeah, you could put a stage up here or whatever. I, I don't know. I have no idea what that agreement was, but essentially, yeah, it was it was Westwood One and Podcast Movement uh, doing their own uh, uh, stage, and then, like I said, XM had their own stage as well, sort of set up to the to the left or so when you walked into the lobby of um, where you were close to the check in line. So it was, it was kind of a clean area. It was like an area where there wasn't as much hustle and bustle. And I think that was intentional because that was where you checked in and checked out or whatever, but we were right next to there, uh, right next to kind of the checkouts and, and the doors, which was a pretty good spot as well. It was a good way to get clean audio and people could kind of mingle and, and, and stand and watch you and stuff. So it was, it was good. It was a, it was a, it was a fun uh, experience for sure. So you did a 90 minute interview with Dave Logano, which is uh, on our subscription behind our paywall. How now are there people mingling around, standing around, listening to this? Is it there are was. They able to hear it? How is that weird to podcast? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is frightening as all hell, and that's why I needed to have somebody there because, like, initially my idea was because you couldn't come. I was like, you know what? I'll just do a solo show. I'll do whatever. So I show up on 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 Friday, and I had enough. I had a rough idea of you know uh, of a guest. Um, but in case they were going to back out or whatever, I was going to say, all right, whatever. I'll just do this thing on my own. I show up and I go, oh no, I I need to be with somebody because. The, the being able to look at somebody and doing an interview too. It, it, I didn't necessarily want to have like another guest where we kind of banter back and forth. I wanted like a right. guy that I would talk to, you know what I mean? Look at and, yeah. and interview because yeah, people are just mingling. People are looking back and forth and, and I would do the normal gesture. I'd look over, you know, give him a high five, give him a wave or whatnot, you know, stuff like that as people walk by. But it was very frightening that you're on the stage 
and, and the worst part is, I, you know, I did it on Sunday morning. That's when everybody was checking out. So people would like roll up with their luggage and then like, you know, maybe they're waiting for a cab or they're waiting for their Uber or whatever, or their flight's not for a little while. And they would just like stop and listen to us. And there's people you know, like sitting there because they had speakers. Yeah. So you could, you could easily hear it. You could easily hear it right. uh, from right. pretty far away. So that was like frightening. Just the first time when I, I talk and I hear like everybody can hear my voice. And I'm just like, oh no, that's, oh no. <laughs> like I'm, you know, I'm used to, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm like super nervous too. And I'm with the nurse and she's like, what are you nervous about? You do this every week. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like in basketball shorts. I'm not wearing pants and I'm, I'm fucking around on my computer. I'm petting a dog. I'm playing with like a rubber band. You know what I mean? Like I'm just doing, this is easy. You know, I'm just in a room and, by and, myself. And 90%, like who cares? And 90% of the time we do it in one, one three hour take, right. but we have that safety net of Ah, fuck it. Just, you know, I got to go take a piss. Stop. The <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that was, oh my God. I took like, I, I, I may have went to the bathroom 15 times before I started. Like every minute I was like, ah, you know what? Just in case I'm going to go again. Cause like, that was my fear of like, you know, 60 minutes in. I'm like, oh my God, I got to pee. Cause then I was like, right. Like, downing coffee. Cause it was like a late night or whatnot. It was, it was horrible. But once it got going and, and, and all the credit to Dave Lugana too, for, of course, for coming on. And he was a great interview as well. And, and obviously he was riding cloud nine. We're going to talk about it here a little bit. You know, if circumstances didn't go, exactly the same way it might not have been as good of an interview but no he was right. riding a high from 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 the night before and it was just such because that show and that match specifically the nwa title match was so good and so fun and there was so much history and story behind it that it was a breezy interview like if we had another hour i think we could like i would have easily done another hour with lagana it was like just well, just barely the- getting there yeah Lagana's a great guest because he just loves to hear himself talk. I mean, let's be honest i mean that guy could talk all night long so he's a perfect guy to book because you could ask him a question and until you sneak in to change direction, he's just going to keep talking. That is the kind of guest you want. Back when we did interviews, we wanted people like that who could just talk and talk and talk and talk and give you a decent answer. Those are the easiest people to interview. The hard part about interviewing Lagana is he's so detailed. You got to wait for him to take a breath so you can jump in there and ask another <laughs> question. So he's – yeah, that's uh, – you booked the perfect guy, especially coming off the – like you said, he was, he was on cloud nine. Now, the other big news – is uh, you did sign a deal with Westwood One. We are now, we signed a, ten, <laughs> right. a $10 million contract to uh, join the Westwood One Podcast Network. Rich, you did a tremendous job. Yeah, you uh, know. We just crossed the T's and dotted the I's on that, and uh, away we go. So uh, we finally found our money mark. And, right, so uh, check your affiliates. Go to uh, Westwood One and check uh, radio affiliates, and uh, yeah, you'll be able to find us on... Uh, one of your random stations in your town, wherever you live. So yeah, I cannot wait for that to get started. Uh, Don't, uh, we don't have a set start date quite yet, but uh, definitely keep tuning in. And uh, one point will show up. So it <laughs> finally worked out. It's finally worked out for all of us. Uh, that was nice using their equipment though. I sounded great. I got back and listened to the audio and I was cool. That was that really was a good. Weird. audio. Yeah, that was, weird. that was a good setup. Yeah. So, yeah, but no was... safety net though. You know, you're live. Everyone can hear you. I know. You know? With this, we could just stop if we can cut something out. If something happens, if we say something, we're like, hmm, are the wokes going to be upset? Probably. Let's just fucking cut it. Well, and I had no idea what their swear like policy was. Like, I think right, Lagana at one right. point dropped an F bomb, but I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, Westwood One's a pretty reputable company. I know podcast movement's taking a lot on here. It's in the middle of a hotel lobby, so I didn't want to do, you know, like voices of wrestling, you know, swearing or whatnot. So I, that was one of the things too. I was like, I was telling Michelle as we were driving there, I was like, I don't know. Like, I just because I work at, a, at an office where like swear, everybody swears. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal sure. at all. It's it's perfectly normal. I come on here, this show. I swear like crazy. Like, I just swear. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like to me, it's it's second nature. I don't know anything else. So I was like, Rich. oh 
man, how do I Rich even? Likes to work blue. Yeah, just... I do, but I was like, I was like, so like I, the worst thing in my mind is like I would just you know say like shit or something like that, and like the Westwood One guy would like throw his headphones down and be like, "What are you doing? Like this is Westwood One. Like what do you think this is?" Right. Like, no, he was like a, t- a perfectly normal guy. I think he's like you know our age or whatnot. But you know, I still had that worry that like some corporate guy in a suit is like, "Oh, what the hell is this?" Or I blew our chance to get on Westwood One. Like they had the contract in hand, like you were saying. And but yeah. thankfully, I, I got there without swearing and the contract signed. So that's uh, it's all good. So. Fantastic. So away we go. So what the hell are we doing this for? I'm uh, I'm going to go watch the Reds game. Why are we doing this podcast? We have to have our, our lawyers look at it first, and then they'll 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 see if there's any uh, weird language in the contract. So, yeah. Excellent point. We've got uh, Aaron Bentley for that. <laughs> right. We have many lawyers. That can these look at it, so. We have a million lawyers on staff. That's true. We just have to take the cheapest one, right? Just, you know, get the best, the best deal. You call him Bentley you know, a cheap Bentley. lawyer? No, I said we have to get the cheapest. If we've got a million on staff, we got to put, you know, you got to put this up for bidding and see who comes in with the best uh, <laughs> arrangement for us, you know. But uh, either way, so, it, was great. it was a great experience, though. So, yeah, you can check it out on the Patreon. Really great interview as well. I think we delve into a lot of really good stuff and, and stuff beyond just the NWA as well. We talk about All In, and I guess this is a good way uh, to kind of get ready for All In talk is talk about All In as a transcendent show. And I think that's, you know, and, and, and Dave brought up that point. I had it on my notes as well that this one felt like when that show was over, it felt like, oh man, we just saw something special. We saw something different. And like you said, regardless of the total gate, regardless of the attendance, regardless of these, you know, the, the viewers on WGN America, when it was over, you felt like everybody in that arena and everybody that follows wrestling with any amount of pulse and didn't have like sort of an agenda felt like, oh, this this is one of those moments. And he brought up a few to, to me. He brought up a ECW One Night Stand, the first ECW One Night Stand, uh, Money in the Bank 2011, which we kind of talked about was a big impetus for this website existing, and All In, like was ones that we talked about the three sort of recent, you mentioned uh, uh, in, in past vintage, like the When Worlds Collide as, as a great idea as well of one of those right. sort of transcendent wrestling shows. I guess you can add the first WrestleMania to that too, where when it's over, you go, oh, this is, this is different. The wrestling world yeah. has changed because of this event. Nothing will be the same because this event and there's there's not many of those there's only a few of those that you can ever say but i think this one absolutely became one of those yeah and and shows that just feel different while you're watching them you're like oh this is different everyone is into this it's hitting all the right chords with the core with the audience that it's attempting to hit those chords with and that definitely was one one night stand the first one might stand perfect comparison uh yeah money in the bank yeah another one i you know when worlds collide to me um you know in 1994 uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it just, it just, it, it, it just felt like, um, you know, and, and like you said, you can maybe count those kind of shows on one hand that have happened in our lifetime over the past, you know, 30 years or so. So for sure. Um, Pro Wrestling Tees is counting some money today, too. So. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. Two more business things here. Pro Wrestling Tees, they pulled in nearly half a million dollars in sales from the weekend. And from all accounts that I heard, and I can see it with my own eyes, is every bit of merchandise they brought sold because every table was empty by the time. Uh, maybe I, I went, I'm trying to remember what match I went to to go. It was, it was not during the main event. I think it was during the uh, Lethal Flip Gordon. During that, I, I went. And, and at that point already, the tables had been cleared off. And pretty much there was like scraps of random sizes left. But for the most part, though, they were almost all gone. And, and from what we heard is everything was gone by the end of the day. I had people that were, you know, people that I, I was even at the show with that bought sizes that weren't even theirs. They just wanted to buy a shirt. You know what I mean? Like, ah, whatever. I'll wash it. It's two sizes too big, but it's all they had. So whatever. I'll do it. So yeah, they, uh, they definitely made a pretty penny this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So massive business success for everybody involved. So, 
Uh, and then last but not least, before we get that, uh, all in zero hour as well, average 196,000 viewers on WGN America. Uh, that number doesn't jump out at you. And we said, like, yeah, they ha- they're they in 7 million homes or whatever it, what it was, but there wasn't going to be 7 million people watching this. There wasn't going to be half of that that was going to watch it. All we do know for that number is that it is it, it, it far exceeds anything that WGN America usually gets. So, And, and I think Dave Meltzer mentioned this on uh, Observer Radio either this morning or the, or, or the day prior, that no, like this this 196 is, is not a number that's going to make normal networks go, oh my God, we need wrestling. Or, oh my God, these guys are, are, are doing something we've never seen before. Like, you know, Fox isn't going to say, oh, screw that WWE deal. We need to get these guys. Or USA isn't going to look at that. Or ESPN's not going to look at that number. But what might be a positive of that number is WGN might look at that number. WGN America might look at that number and go, oh, okay, maybe we should have wrestling on here. Maybe this is a good idea because it it beat out all the uh, fucking terrible shows that we, we mentioned a few weeks ago. And that's, I think, something to be said. I mean, that, that it wasn't this amazing number that jumps out at you, but it's a number that stands out on WGN America that, that does sort of eclipse a lot of the stuff that they do. So whether that's you know them breaching a, a, something with ROH, which might be a little tough given the Sinclair uh, <laughs> WGN negotiations and how that went, or if they just decide to get some sort of wrestling thing. But all they know is, uh, as far as we know from that number, WGN got a number that was far exceeded anything that they had done normally on their network, which is a positive, one way or another. I, look, yeah, I don't know what to make of that number either, other than it was, like you said, the, the most viewed show on WGN. Right. It's better than Carter reruns. So. It far exceeded Carter reruns. Yeah. So. Which, which has to be a positive for WGN. I think that, um, you know, in terms of uh, whether WGN would then be interested in doing some, some kind of business with these guys. I mean, I think I think the man on woman violence would be a potential barrier, which they would have to cut out. Uh, I don't think you could do intergender on on. Well, I guess Lucha Underground does it right, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it. Every network executive is going to have a different kind of stance on that. I think so. Um, whether that would be a barrier at WGN, I don't know. Um, I don't think. But, but but I mean at the same time, what's all in going to do? Start shooting weekly TV? So I I I, I don't really understand. I mean, would, would if WGN you know came with them with with some money and said, let us help you put something together? We think we've got something here. I don't even know if those guys want to take on something like that. I wouldn't if I were <laughs> like that sounds horrible. You know what Unless I mean? Unless like, the money was just too much to right. turn down, why would they want to take on something? It's a lot easier just to do uh, a couple one or two one off shows per year then start putting together a, a, you know, a full fledged promotion. So that's just jumping way ahead. But, um, you know, I, you know, 200,000 people watched and maybe some of them bought the pay-per-view who knows. All right, let's get to the show itself. So we start with the pre-show and Joe, have you been able to see all the zero hour stuff for, I, I know it. it's been hard for some people to see you. You've been able to see it. Yeah, it's all over YouTube. I mean, the videos have gotten pulled down or whatnot. But I Joe, mean, I would never. New ones just pop up constantly. I illegal mean, wrestling? No, no, not on the show, Joe. We're not talking about illegal wrestling on the show. But if is, you... is that is that illegal? I don't even know. If I, I, don't I guess know. It's I don't know. on YouTube. <laughs> but um, I didn't. I, I forgot to to record it uh, before I left for my trip, and then I actually. I timed so we're, so we're, oh, so Joe. we're way on this trip. Oh, I know where this is going. And, oh, Joe! And I'm like, I gotta get her to 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 come back to the room at around five o'clock to see if, the, <laughs> if we got WGN on a, in the on room. a Saturday night. That poor and, woman. You know what I mean? Like she's out and about on her town enjoying her birthday, and you want her ass to go back to the hotel at five p.m. 
So I got her. Yeah. So I timed it perfectly. We went back to the room five o'clock, and I was like, I, I just said, listen, wouldn't you want to take a nice shower, relax a little bit in the room, then get dressed? We'll go out tonight. You know. Okay. So, so that's uh, how you planned it. You didn't. You weren't packing it in for the night. You were just saying, let's go back and and. No, I was like, let's go back to the room. You can take a powder. You know, freshen yeah. up a little. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, right. We've been out all day. You could take a shower. You know, uh, get dressed, uh, put on. You know, relax a little bit. You know, so I timed it out perfectly, and and but but the. Uh, I was hoping we'd have WGN in the room, but we did not have the WGN America in the room. So I uh, was not able to watch it live. I was hoping I would be, but I was able to come home and watch it illegally, I guess. And I saw, I found it on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, long story short, as they like to say, Rich, um, I did see every match. All right. So the first match, of course, was the SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky uh, defeating the Briscoe Brothers. Uh, this was the match where I knew that the show was going to be fun because oh, yeah. the SCU chants were out of this world. And I went, what? Like, why are people chanting for SCU? And I said, if they're chanting this much for SCU and the crowd's popping as big as they are for SCU, this is going to be a good one. And the crowd was hot during this entire match. And it was a pretty fun match altogether. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. It was a really good match. And... um you know, one of the better Briscoe matches this year. I mean, yeah. I didn't see the match against the Bucks from uh, you did. Um, was it better than the Bucks match from the pay per view or no? Uh, no, probably a little under that, but not as I mean, yeah. not much under, which is shocking right. considering it's the Bucks and SCU. You know what I mean? Like that. That it should be a big difference, but no, it, it, right, right under that, I would say. And yeah, and I completely agree with you. I, I watching that, I'm thinking to myself, uh, "Wow, this crowd is they're going to pop for everything." This is they, they're ready for wrestling. They're ready for wrestling that they feel some ownership with and that they connect with. And, and here we go because, you know, and I like that SCU did the, the, the Rocky and Apollo Creed thing where Kazarian came out in the Rocky gear and, and uh, Scorpio sky came out on the Apollo Creed gear and, and they were hot for SCU and, and they were, uh, they were hot for the Briscoes. And yeah, I thought it was a really good, um, you know, match to open up the pre-show. And I think what was great about that, and again, then we'll, we'll move on to other matches because there's a lot of time on this, but them coming out in the Rocky and Apollo Creed thing, like you said, was a clear idea that like these guys get it and everything that you watched on being the elite, if you were to being the elite watcher, you got rewarded for watching that. You know what I mean? Like you, they, those guys just ran up the steps in Philadelphia and you might've just said, ah, that's just, they were in Philadelphia, whatever. Then they come out and they're wearing the Rocky stuff. They're wearing the Apollo Creed stuff. They're playing off of the being the elite stuff. And, and, and when you saw that and you knew, oh my God, here we go. Like that, everything in the show is going to be tailored to people that understand being the elite, get the jokes or in on the jokes, sort of get that sort of stuff, which is, is unique because like we said, there's not, I mean, it doesn't have that many viewers. It doesn't have that many people, but it felt like they were just in tune with their audience, like nothing before, which is incredible. And, and I mentioned that when I was talking to, to Lagana on the, on the Patreon interview as well. And you said sort of ownership. I use the word agency where, where fans yeah. felt immediately like this show is for us. And in some ways, even if it wasn't, by us you know what i mean this show we are the reason this show is happening we we feel like we helped this show be, get created we feel like all this that's happening we are a part of it not just paying our money to go sit down and and and, and do what you tell us but we're a part of this we're, we're in this ride together with you and that i think is such a powerful thing that's what ecw one night stand was that's what money in the bank was that's what one what worlds collide was i mean that's what this show was in the opening moment you knew Everybody in the crowd was saying we are a part of this in some form or fashion, whether they are or not, whether that's just sort of a right. feeling you have. But it, 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 well, listen, that's that's pro wrestling one hundred and one, yeah, right? Exactly. That's what I mean. It's not like this unheard of thing where because people are like, oh yeah, you know, that we heard the co opting thing and all this sort of stuff. Pro wrestling one hundred and one is getting me to think that I'm a part of this. Like that's not that fucking hard. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just, hey, what do our fans want to see? Cool, let's do that. Like it's not fucking hard. It's not, you know. 
crowd connection is that thing that's the hardest thing to attain and the most important thing to attain. And um, if nothing else, you know, the, these, the, you know, the, the elite crew, I mean, they have amazing crowd connection. And then the other thing, you know, is, is you can, you, you knew right off the bat that the wrestlers weren't just treating this like another indie shot, like another uh, date on their calendar. They oh, I mean, I've never seen Scorpio Sky wrestle this well. I mean, I've seen dozens, hundreds of Scorpio Sky matches in my life, probably at this point. This is the best I've ever seen him. He was all over the place. He's doing bumps like crazy. He's doing, you know, topes, like Kazarian's busting his ass. And Kazarian's a guy who will definitely, you know, ebb and flow based off the type of show it is. He wasn't. The Briscoes were, yeah, it was like, oh, it's just a different we're in for energy. It's just yeah, a different we're, energy. We're That's yeah. what it is. It's just the energy level among, you know, with the crowd and an energy level with the wrestlers themselves all night long. Yeah. Uh, then, we had, then we had the uh, 19 man over the budget, 19 person, I should say, because you had Jordan Grayson there uh, over the budget battle Royal. Uh, this was of course to determine the number one contender for the ROH world title. That would happen later in the show. Uh, Flip Gordon won as a surprise. He was, what is it? El Chico Lucha? I forget the, the guy's name. El Chico Lucha. The Rocky Romero thing with yes. the, the Rocky Romero does with the documentary El Chico Luchador. And, 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 you know, with Rocky Romero and El Chico in the match, it was kind of like, okay, something's up here. And then, you know, he takes the power bomb through the table from, from Bully Ray. And I kind of forgot that happened yes. though. Oh, we so, all did. Yeah. So I was I, wondering if on TV, it was more obvious that that happened. Cause we had all forgotten it. Like we had just kind of laughed and we're like, ah, oh, yeah, Chico's gone or whatever. Okay. Whatever. Then when he came out, it was like, Holy fuck. Yeah. You didn't get eliminated. <laughs> like that was, that was definitely a unique moment. Cause I think we all forgot that, which was tremendous booking on that, on, on their behalf. Right. And, and you know, they did, they did focus on it on TV. They showed the power bomb. And, you know, they made their, their joke about El Chico or whatever, but then he's just laying there dead. And I, I honestly forgot it happened. I, I did, I didn't have my thinking cap on. I was just watching it, you know, brainlessly. And, and I'm sure I could have put it together. Um, had I thought hard about it and all that with Rocky Romero already in the match and those sorts of things. But uh, did we just unmask another wrestler? Did we just, uh, I think, I think that's pretty sad. That should be pretty obvious to most people. If you've ever heard El Chico Luchador talk, you should be fairly certain that that is Rocky Romero. So I apologize for anybody that we've unmasked, but that is that El Chico Luchador is, is, is Rocky Romero. So uh, maybe it's not. I just always assumed it was. I mean, in the, you know, in the being the lead, it's, it, it's absolutely. Um, okay, so so um, I'm just covering my ass here. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a horrible right. reputation, Rich. Horrible <laughs> reputation. Um, but but what came through to me with the battle royal? First of all, it was an exquisitely booked battle royal. I oh, mean, really oh good. my god! I mean, just I, every single person at battle royal got a moment of shine, which it, it, and, and and that's also how you could tell. And this was another theme throughout the show. You knew this was a show booked and produced by wrestlers because everyone got some shine. It's almost like a, the thought process of booking this show was the thought process of a wrestler where it was like, oh, the, the one thing I hate is when I get booked for a show and I just I, – I, no one even knew I was there. It's just – nobody cares. Everyone on this show and everyone in this battle royal even got Austin a chance. fucking gun. Even Billy Gunn's son yeah. got his own shine. Like. I mean they use the old uh, battle royal deal where a lot of times you know you get your big spot and then immediately get eliminated off of that spot, but everyone got their moment to have Re- Ian Riccoboni yell their name on TV. Yeah, Ethan Page, um, Moose got to do his Moose thing. Brian yes. Cage obviously got to stand out. Jordan Grace, I think, was the biggest highlight for everybody. Uh, Billy Gunn, of course, as I mentioned, Austin Gunn. Like the names, everybody got something. Every single yes. person that uh, uh, Chuck Taylor and, and and Trent got their thing. You know, Bully Ray got many things, unfortunately, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, every, I mean, that I think is the, that is so hard to do. You know what I mean? That is is, is something, in, in, especially in 17 minutes. That's a lot of names, a lot of people in 17 minutes, but every single person felt 
like an important part of that match at one point, which is is, is very difficult to do. So a testament to that. And this that. and this was one of the best battle royals I've seen in years. I have to go back pretty far to find a battle royal that was better. It was just it was booked tremendously. There was energy. Everyone was excited. A lot of times people don't want to be in a battle royal. You know, everyone in this battle royal wanted to be there, and and you know it was clearly laid out just brilliantly. And uh, yeah, so right, and- nobody felt like geeks, even though like because when they when they're doing the parade where they're coming out, I'm like, oh no, this is kind of geeky. Like you know what I mean? It's just like Shreds and Rocky, and they're just like walking out. And I'm like, oh no, like this is we didn't see suck. any of that. Oh, you didn't see? Okay, so they uh, they did like a parade. Oh, so you, they cut back to everybody just in the ring. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what they did is like they basically just started playing some random music, and then maybe the all in music, and then like sure. people just started walking down, and then they were just like Jordan Grace, uh, Chuck Taylor, Rocky Romero, and like yeah, it was just I think parade of geeks, and you're like, yeah. oh no, this is gonna be a geek this battle. Is be bad. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, and like the people are out of order. People are just walking down. It just felt like you know, what I mean, like at one point they were just say Butch Reed and One Man Gang. Like it was just like this sure. parade of geeks, and you're like, oh no, like this is gonna be bad. And then yeah, the match starts, and yeah, it, it, it's perfect, and it just absolutely works, and. And as we said, the, the big spot was Bully Ray uh, at one point throwing El Chico Luchador through a table. Uh, Bully Ray then gets the control. It, it's Bully Ray. It's, it's down to Bully Ray and Colt Cabana, which makes sense. Like, I, I thought in my heart of hearts, Colt Cabana was probably going to win it. Then when he got eliminated, I was like, oh, shit, we're going to get a Bully Ray title match. God, somebody save us. And then, of course, we mentioned El Chico Luchador comes from the outside, unmasks as Flip Gordon, uh, and then knocks out Bully Ray to a monstrous pop. So Flip Gordon finds his way onto the show, which we all knew at some point he was going to get on the show, but for whatever reason, I just kind of forgot. So, Rich, <laughs> so was the viewing party a red herring all along? Uh, you know, I don't know. It might have been because we we got word that it got – after we had done our podcast uh, last week, people said, oh, that thing had been canceled or that was canceled. I have no fucking clue. I don't know if – because they were selling tickets to that. You know what I mean? Like they were selling tickets – I think that they had booked that venue. I feel like that venue is a, it's a, it's a real venue. You know what I mean? Like, and I thought that venue would be totally cool with them. Just like false promoting a show at that. Sure. So I wonder if they were going to see how many people wanted to go and maybe flip was going to chime in at the beginning and then leave or come back or something like that. But I, I have no idea. I don't know if it was red herring. I don't know if it was just a false, but they announced that it was canceled before this. You, you know what I'm saying? So I, I, yeah. I don't know. Well, they, well, they would- would have to do that to give people their money back correct yeah i don't know i have no idea i there's yeah there's a lot of moving parts with that i i just can't imagine the venue which is a very respectable venue that they were booked at would be totally cool with them like false promoting a show that that's well here's the thing that's tricky would the venue have to know yeah not necessarily what if they they booked this is what i'm saying do you think that they would go full carny right (laughs) that's pretty carny Book the venue, book this event just to throw people off the scent of Flip Gordon, knowing they're going to cancel it and give people their money back who signed up for it. Because then you're not really fucking the venue either. If they get there, you know, it's like maybe you let them keep the deposit or you pay them anyway. Just That's to a lot of work. Ah, man. Is it a lot of work to just cancel an event? Ow, basically, you're just, struggle, basically, you're just paying off the venue to perpetuate this ruse. Do you think they would have gone that far? I think that's what they did, because otherwise it was it was an hour away. How was Flip Gordon getting there in time for the pre-show? Yeah, I'm trying to look at their uh, their schedule to see if there was actually anything scheduled for that night. Because again, like I don't this venue runs stuff all the fucking time. You know, it, it's a big what time. Does, venue, but here's so. the thing: what does the venue care if they got paid anyway? It's an easier night for their cleanup crew. Oh sure, yeah. So I'm, what do they care? It just seems like I'm, an awful lot of work for. I'm saying if you if, if they paid the venue and said that you know what we got to cancel, 
but keep the money. Keep the deposit. In fact, here's the full, here's the full fucking Monty. Take it all. If I'm running that venue, that's an easy night for me. I go home. So, you know, it's just interesting because I don't see how otherwise you you do you work Flip Gordon onto the pre-show if he's supposed to be at that thing. And the only reason you'd ever go to that is because Flip Gordon's there, right? You're just you're not going to go watch All In on a fucking monitor with a yeah, bunch of no, other no. black T-shirt fans. You're gonna the whole draw was Flip Gordon was going to be there. So, I, Rich, I really think it was a red herring all along. There's no other logical explanation. Yeah, it. yeah. It's I'll I'll try to do a little bit more research on there, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting theory that you have there. I uh, we should have had somebody try to buy tickets or buy tickets to let us know what, but then you would have had to you know buy tickets for that. I so. think they gave people refunds. We here's what we need to do. If anyone listening bought a ticket to that thing, how was it handled? Did you get a refund? Did they never charge you to begin with? That I'm curious to know. If that'd be, anyone that'd be great to know. Because yeah, everybody that I know was going to all in, so I had nobody that I right. that I that I knew that was going to the party. So yeah, let us know if, if you're one of those uh, fine folks that were uh, expecting to go to the Vic Theater for uh, Flip Gordon's all in viewing party and and, and did not go. But uh, anyway, monstrous pop for Flip Gordon and a fun battle royal, really good. Uh, and that was our pre-show, so that had a pretty good start to it already. So we we're pretty excited for what was going to happen after uh, the All In show opens up with the Bucks and Cody doing a promo, showing off their fireworks and whatnot. Were you, were you guys able to see that on the pay-per-view? Uh, yes. With their fireworks. Okay, yeah, that's what that's what I thought. Uh, and then you had the opener, kind of a surprise opener, not not announced beforehand. We knew these names were going to be on All In, and I guess I should have assumed that these guys maybe just didn't get not booked or I, I don't know what it was. But you had Matt Cross and MJF, uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Uh, as your opener, Joe, what do you think about this as your opener to All In, all, opener to a, a transcendent show is, is Matt Cross and MJF? I thought, the like everyone else, I was like, How, what is this? But then when the match was over, I was like, this was the perfect opener for the show. It was a classic pro wrestling. Look, it was an MJF match. It was your classic pro wrestling where, you know, um, with heel cutoff spots and a clear heel and a clear baby face. The baby face is a flippy dude doing all the exciting moves. The heel is, um, you know, a prick flipping off the crowd and, and, and cutting off the baby face at every turn. And then uh, the baby face wins in the end. I thought cross looked great. I thought MJF, um, although he didn't get to cut a promo. Um, yeah. I thought, how do you not give, uh, how do you not give MJF a live mic? I mean, thank God they didn't given how the rest of the show went, but how do you not give MJF a live mic? But I, I, I still think he got his, his, you know, his, his character. And look, everyone knows who he is anyway. It's not, look, yeah. this is an inside baseball show. So it's not like you're introducing MJF to anyone who was there or anyone who's watching on pay-per-view. I think we lose sight of that too. It's like, on one hand, we're viewing this as the first show of this, whatever this is. But at the other hand, we all know who MJF is. So I would have liked to hear him cut a promo, but I also think it was overstated how necessary that may have been. Um, everyone knew he was the heel and he was the dick and everyone kind of gets what he is, but, um, yeah, a solid three-star opener, which is exactly what you, it was exactly what you wanted out of both guys and they both perform well. And it was that exactly what you wanted out of that match. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised by it because MJF is not a great wrestler. Um, MJF is an adequate pro wrestler who is a tremendous, tremendous heel. That's what he is. Um, and this was one of the better MJF matches that I've ever seen. Yeah, this is really good. And a lot of credit to Matt Cross as well, because I think Cross is an awesome wrestler. And he was a guy that after the show, me and a few buddies were talking about how we had seen him, you know, 10, 12 years ago or whatnot. And, you know, 
in early Ring of Honor years and like and you know M Dog Twenty era and thinking, yes. oh my god, this is the next guy. Like this guy, if if everything gets behind, and for whatever reason, a bunch of different circumstances, he just never broke out. He just never got to that bigger level th- that we all thought. I mean, you if you yeah. watch the early M Dog Twenty stuff, like the stuff he was doing in the ring was like oh like next level high flying. Like this dude. Yeah was the next revolution this guy was uh your matt seidel before matt seidel had really broken out he was he was your guy you know what i mean like you thought this dude was going to explode and for whatever reason he's had a very good career all, all things considered but yeah he never reached that top top level but he, he's a great wrestler and still great and still moves uh so smooth so yeah i think this was a good opener as well just classic pro wrestling mjf is your classic cocky heel matt cross is your classic sort of high-flying baby face so it did work uh quite well in that sense uh next match we had was christopher daniels and I'm, I'm oh, sorry, they, and I'm glad they booked matt cross because it's like at this point, with everybody signed and everything else, he's like an OG indie guy at this point. Yes, yeah, no, it was you cool know? to have him. He felt like, yeah, it felt like sort of a, a lifetime achievement award, like a watch sure. that they had given him. Like, hey, thank and you for too. Yeah, yeah, thank you for your years and years of service to the American Indies. Here you go. Here's a watch, aka the you know the opener of all, which is a big moment. I mean, that was a huge, huge moment, a moment for him. So good, good for them. And they're in an important spot if they go out there and shit the bed. I mean, you know, you really got to set the tone for this thing. I mean, this crowd was going to react to almost anything that you put out there. It would have to be a truly horrendous match for the for it to damper the enthusiasm of this crowd. But they went out there and delivered a solid three star match that achieved exactly what it was supposed to achieve. Uh, next match here was uh, Christopher Daniels uh, defeating Stephen Amell. So uh, first off, we'll ask the result there with Stephen Amell not getting the win. Uh, are you okay with that result? Do you like the result? Do you think it would have been better to have Amell win? What, what are your thoughts on, on, on Daniels getting the win? No, I'm fine with the result. The wrestler should win. I know you were a little surprised by it because um, you're thinking, um, you know, a PR moment. Sure. Uh, for, yeah. Yeah. But but I mean, I think you, you're you going to get that whether he wins or loses, I think. Um, you know, whatever's going to come of that is going to come. But I mean, um, look, the big story here is Amel was gassed a minute into the match and it didn't matter um, because for the you know, for, for what we expected that Christopher Daniels carried him through a very, very passable match. I mean, I, I, you know, other than Amel being blown up, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad match for a guy's first ever singles match, completely blown up 90 seconds in. This was totally watchable. I was, I, you know, it, it was surprising how, how, you know, it could have fallen apart very easily. But this is exactly why Daniels was in the match to begin with. Yeah, and, and Amel did a great job, I think, all things considered. Uh, I, I think he took more bumps than I thought he was going to take. He took more risks than I, I thought he was going to take. But, I mean, th- at the end of the day, this match is Christopher Daniels. This is, like, one of the uh, – again, we talk about Lifetime Achievement Awards for, like, cl- you know, American indie wrestlers that have busted their ass. This is one here where Daniels gets this guy from Hollywood that that hadn't been doing as much training as he probably should have in anticipation of this match because, you know, he's freaking, you know, doing – you know, air, you know he's, he's recording Arrow right now as we speak. You know, So it's not – he doesn't have a ton of time to do a bunch of wrestling. So they give him Christopher Daniels, a pro's pro, and Daniels works him through a, a, a what I think way above my expectations, way better than I had any right to match because Daniels is fucking awesome. I mentioned in the preview that you know he could bring a literal broomstick to like a three star match, and I believe that. And he brought Stephen Amell to. I mean, this thing was teetering on three and a half, four. Like it was really pretty good, given all things considered, and given that Amell had no gas in the tank after you know a minute in. So yeah, it was Daniels a pro's pro, and and again, like I we uh, we got an opportunity. I put this on the Patreon as well. Uh, to interview some guys before the show as well. And most of the guys were somewhat what, out of character. You know I mean? Even Amel was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, it's crazy. I'm doing this. And, and you know, he didn't really have a, a character necessarily. But we had, like, Ethan Page, and he was kind of out of character. You had Chelsea Green, and, and she was, for the most part, out of character. Daniels, man, he's a pro's pro. He never 
broke character the entire time. And I don't mean like doing over the top character stick, but like your answers were exactly what cocky wrestler Christopher Daniels would answer and not Christopher Daniels, right. the human being. Like I tried to say, you know, you've wrestled in Chicago. I've watched you for 20 years wrestle in Chicago. Like how big of a moment is this? And he just no sell the Chicago part and said, Christopher Daniels is not all in. And you're never going to be able to take that away from him. And I was like, God damn it. Like, damn it. Yeah. He's just such a pro. I was like, I come on. I was tugging at the heartstrings there. I was like, you've been, you did Windy City. I dropped a Windy City Pro Wrestling. I thought I was going to get like, could break him yeah. a little bit. You cannot break the man. We've interviewed him before. We've had him on this show. Yeah. You cannot break Christopher Daniels. He is a pro's pro. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about the uh, the pre-show press conference. Yes. yes that was correct. the day before, correct? No, no. That was, was uh, the day right day of. That was the yeah, day of. Day pre-show press conference. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, this term gets thrown around a lot. And I think it gets thrown around in situations where it isn't fair. Rich, this was a, this was a carry job. I mean, this is the epitome of a carry All job. Timer. This is, yeah, this in match. the dictionary, you this would is, show this match for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is a carry job. And people throw that around way too much. It'll be like, you know, name two excellent. It'll be, you know, Kazuchiko Okada and Tetsuya Naito. And someone will claim that one guy carried the other. And it's like, you're out of your mind. You know, it's just like that term just gets thrown around too much. This is a carry job. This was like the, 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 like you said, the dictionary definition of, of that term. So. Uh, next match here was the women's match, the four-corner survival match. She had Tessa Blanchard in a pretty cool nod. She had Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard with her. She came down, they came down in the ring uh, together. Uh, you had Chelsea Green, Madison Rain, and Britt Baker. We sort of all assumed that Tessa was going to win, and then when she comes out with Magnum TA and Tully, it was basically like, okay, yeah, she's definitely going to win. But I thought you know, it started off a little rough. There was a little bit of awkwardness at the beginning, but I thought once they got going, this one was really good. And it, again, like uh, kind of a theme of this, ma- this show, far exceeded my expectations. I thought this was really good when it was all said and done. To this point in the show, it was the best match on the show, in my opinion. Yeah. To this point in the show. Um, and I, and I, and as I've talked about, I liked a lot of the other match. I liked the Battle Royal a lot. Um, I, I liked the, 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 the ROH tag team match a lot. And, I, you know, it's, it's, but this was the best match on the show to this point. They killed it and they did over deliver. And I, I really thought, you know, we talked last week, I thought people were being way too hard on the lineup. And, you know, you knew I was going to bring that up because I got to pat myself on the back because it was an awesome show. Um, I thought people were way too hard on the lineup, and I think that everything that I thought was going to deliver did. And it was matches like this where I wasn't sure that over-delivered, like you're saying, which just made for an excellent show. I think this show, um, you know, we'll get votes for show of the year. I don't think it should win. I don't think it will win. But I think it, no doubt, I mean, when you when you take into account, you know, all of the other um, intangibles and, and what the show means, it's going to get votes. It's going to finish very high. In, in, in polls uh, for show of the year. And it was because a lot of these matches like this one way over delivered. Uh, any thoughts on the finish? Cause I think that's the one part I didn't necessarily love all that much is where you have Tessa uh, going for the pinfall. And then you have a bunch uh, the rest of the girls. I forget exactly who the other ones were kind of climbing to the ring and looked like they were just about to break it up, but they just couldn't. And it was a little weird. Cause I think the crowd initially thought that people were going to break the pin up and then they didn't. And I think it was maybe one of those ones that in the moment when you're watching it, and, and you're watching it live, it kind of feels like, oh, man, did they screw up? Or, oh, that wasn't what the way it was supposed to be. And then I, as I kind of stood on it a little bit and thought, okay, that's probably what they were going for, I liked it a little bit better. But how did you sort of interpret the finish? For people that didn't see, well, like I said, Tessa had a pinfall on, I forget who it was, I think Britt Baker and Green, green. and Madison Rain. Oh, she had, a, she had it on Rain? Okay. It was Green, uh, yeah. Yeah, so she had, a, so, and then Madison Rain and Britt Baker tried to jump in at the last second. They get really close, but then the pinfall just kind of happens. And it felt a little deflating. Like the crowd took a few seconds to kind of say, oh, is that actually the finish? And it seemed a little weird, and it seemed like, oh, man, you had such a great match, and then this finish just kind of, but uh, well, how did you well, sort of interpret used, it? 
she used the hammerlock DDT, so I think it was the finish. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, oh, no, it was, was the timing. The yeah. Now was the timing on the count and the and the attempted save a little off? Maybe. Um, I, 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 you know, did it bother me? No. I mean, it was a very minor thing. It was kind of like I, it, that was intended to be the finish, and and it wasn't super smooth i guess i don't know i i just don't think it's a big deal at all it didn't take let me put it to you this way it took nothing away from the match for okay me. that's good um and the other thing you know and this is kind of related to it this was also the point in the show where i watched on new japan world okay and it looked like they just totally took a ripped file from the pay-per-view and put it on because, <laughs> which you know i'm just saying because the the there were massive i won't i don't want to say massive there were some um production issues for about the first half hour. You haven't seen – you didn't rewatch the show, right? I have not, no. There were production issues for about the first half hour of the show, uh, particularly with the audio. And um, they went away after about the first half hour of the show. Now, I don't know if that was cleaned up for New Japan World, but they would have cleaned up the whole thing. So I have to assume that it, that it, that it wasn't. Um, and again, similar to this finish, it's like, it was a little distracting for the first half hour, but then the last three hours and 30 minutes of the show, there were really no production issues at all. And to the point where, you know, that, that half hour of, 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 of choppy audio and the one graphic where Flip Gordon's name was spelled wrong, which was a little cringe. <laughs> it, it took nothing away from the overall experience at the end of the day for me. Now, if it would have lasted throughout the duration of the show, it would have been a, very much been a distraction. But it was basically the pre-show, part of the first couple matches, and then by the end of the show, I was like, "Oh yeah, this show had production issues very early." I did; it didn't take away. Just like maybe this slightly sloppy finish—I can't even say sloppy. Just um, it looked awkward in the sense that most of the time in pro wrestling, when you do a finish like this, the attempted save comes clearly after the pinfall. Where this, these attempted saves—it's almost like they just came up short as the referee was still counting. Um, so I get what you're saying, but much like the production issues, it didn't really hurt the experience for me. All right. That's good to know. And, and, and one thing that I did notice as well is, that, and, and I, and like I said, I have not actually went back and watched it, but I heard from a few people that the crowd didn't seem quite as loud on audio, even, even as after they fixed the uh, audio issues where people that watched it live said it was way more electric. The entire show was way more electric than it was uh, watching back, but, but still said that the crowd, the crowd was still good. And the, and the, and the mic issues or the, uh, the crowd miking issues uh, improved as the show went on. But yeah, that it was probably a little bit, it, it didn't quite it, capture the, the audio, awesome. the atmosphere as much as it, it, it may have live, but I'm sure that's true. But that's like so many wrestling that happens all the time. Exactly. I right. think, I think people are being way too hard on this show for that, for the minor production issues early on. And for the timing issues that we're well, going to talk Joe, about, Joe, you got to find something, right? You know, what I mean? <laughs> like, well, I mean, not even from that perspective, but if, I think it's, like, you know, if you're trying to play, Rich, you, know, like, you got to find I something. Mean, how common is it for wrestling shows with the exception of the well-oiled machine of WWE? Okay, and, and they even run into it. Rich, there was a WrestleMania match that got canceled three years ago. Remember the Funkadactyls match yes. with uh, – they had to pull a match off the show because they had timing issues. At, they have timing issues at almost every WrestleMania and where it's a well-oiled machine where everything is timed down to the second. I don't understand this bashing that this show is getting. The main, the, the, Rich, did the main event happen? That's question number one. Did. did the main event happen on the show? I believe it did. It did indeed happen. Did they get like 
12 minutes for this main event. They did. did was it a great main event, crowd-pleasing and everything else, with the it crowd was. going nuts? Yes. Then what the fuck is the problem? <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is just pro wrestling. Okay? Every ROH show has timing issues. Every WrestleMania has timing issues. We're going to make a big deal out of this? Raw runs over every week. How long is Raw? We don't know. Sometimes it's three hours and five minutes. Sometimes it's three hours and 12 minutes. Sometimes people are making such a bit. Yes, in a perfect world, you want the show timed out properly. But we didn't miss the finish. Okay, they cut a couple minutes off of the main event. Does does cat does does generic does does Gen Pop wrestling fan number three sixteen who ordered this on pay per view or was sitting in that crowd? Does he even know that there was a timing issue on this show? No clue. I mean, honestly, no. They watched the show. They got their main event. The main event was great. If you watch it on pay per view, you saw the finish. What the fuck is the big deal? It's amazing to me how overblown this timing issue has become. It it, 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 it it amazes me. This is pro wrestling. 90% of pro wrestling shows have timing issues. I mean, give me a break. It's not that big a deal. And it was their first crack at it too. Which again, I can cut them a break on the minor production issues in the, in the, early, in the first 20 minutes of the show. It's their first crack at it. They had some issues. They worked them out. They fixed it. If they didn't fix it for the whole show, I'd be the first one railing about it. But they, they fixed it and took care of it. You had a timing issue that a common fan had no clue even happened. Had no clue happened. The only people who know what happened are the nerds listening to us right now. Are the only people who know that the main event got chopped by a few minutes. So I I, I don't know. I just thought a lot of this stuff was way overblown. Let's get to uh, the next match here is the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship match. It was Cody uh, defeating Nick Aldis to win the championship. And now there's a lot in this. I've talked about it a lot. I talked about it on the Patreon show uh, with, with, with Dave. I've talked about it a lot on tweets and whatnot. So I'll let you have the floor because I do not believe you have talked about it all that much. And then I'll, I'll, I'll respond to anything that you bring up. But uh, I want you to have the floor for this one, too, because I don't believe you've said anything about this match quite yet. Every time anybody asked you, you said you will elaborate on the flagship. So, Joe, elaborate. Here you go. Cody, Nick Aldis. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I wasn't saving some super hot take for the flagship, but at the same time, you don't want to give everything away. You, you want to make people click these things so we can make some ad dollars. But um, yeah, I thought the the you know it was it was just they really made this feel so super important. Again, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel with these takes. I mean, the boxing slash MMA style walkouts were just incredible. Um, I wasn't expecting that at all. It was such a nice touch with uh, Cody, with, with you know, with his guys, Tommy Dreamer being a Dusty Rhodes guy wearing the Dusty Rhodes pants, um, you know, and, and 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 coming out with his crew, and you know, Diamond Dallas Page, and then you had um, all this coming out with his crew, his 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 good friends, whether it was Sean Devari coming out, Tim Storm, part of that group, which I thought was a very, I wasn't expecting Tim Storm, you know, what a nice job out of uh, the NWA to get Tim Storm in the mix and have him walk out with all this. You know, and, the, and all the oldest guys are wearing their suits. You know, J- Jeff Jarrett, Double J, always mm-hmm. winning. He found his way on there. And, we, were, and, we were 100% convinced in the press box that Jeff Jarrett was going to find a way to win this match <laughs> and walk out with the yeah. title. Oh, he'll, he's holding that belt again at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or or he was, even if he wasn't going to win the match, that he brought up the idea of him winning the match at least a thousand times that weekend. Like, yeah. minutes before, he's like, ah, just to tell you, I got a good angle. Like, what we can do is, yeah, I got the guitar. Like, he has the guitar. Like, I have it. I'll bring it. And they're like, no, Jeff. Just don't bring it. He's like, but I, but I can if you want. Like, no, Jeff, we're okay. We got it. 
I mean, and then look, this wasn't a great match or anything. Um, but I, I think we, we all kind of knew it wasn't going to be a great match. But as an entire package from start to finish, this was a massive win. This was a massive win Sorry. for the end of the day. This was a – just ignore the dogs. Just ignore the dogs. Right? This is what we do on this show. Dogs bark on this thing, and we talk through it. We've been doing that for six years. There's no reason not to do it now, you know? But, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, this was – as a total package, this was a massive win for the NWA brand. It was a no-brainer to put their title on Cody, assuming that he wanted it, which, uh, which obviously now we know that he did. Um, so, uh, you know, that raises the profile of the title even further. And, uh, yeah, as a, as a, as a start to finish package, this was, and again, I'm going to use hindsight here In hindsight, we were all silly for kind of being like, Oh, they're going to do Nick all this Cody on this all in show. I mean, this was a tremendous experience and a tremendous start to finish, uh, you know, total package, uh, you know, Cody, uh, blading and, and bleeding all over the place. It felt like a classic NWA title match from that perspective. Um, you know, it, it's uh, so, so yeah, I mean, this was just, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, um, you know, uh, Billy Corgan and, and Dave Lagana just have to be fucking high five and fist pump. Cause this worked out way better than anyone could have expected. And I think that, uh, it's pretty clear that Cody is going to put, take some pride in this title and, uh, put some effort into it. And, and certainly he's going to elevate it. Um, I'm not going to sit here and change my, I know you want to say some things about Nick Aldis. Now I'm not changing my tune on Nick Aldis. I think the guy's dry as a bone. I think he's boring. Um, you know, I think that, uh, Tim storm was way more over as, as, uh, as, as NWA, as NWA champion than all this was. I think they were losing steam with all this, not gaining momentum, uh, with all this, um, and, 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 and I, and, and I'm not going to sit here and put over all that. I think he was, I, I, he was very boring in the match. I thought he was, uh, Cody, um, was much better in the match than all this was. And Cody wasn't, isn't exactly a world beater, but, um, I thought he, he was, uh, the much better performer, uh, between, I thought all this was just his usual two-star self, a guy who's just a competent pro wrestler who is barely passable at best. Uh, Nick, all this best attribute. And I, uh, and this is a good segue to some of the stuff you want to talk about. Um, Nick, Nick Aldis's best attribute was he looks good in a suit. And, um, and I don't mean that facetiously. I think, you know, that mattered for the presentation of the match and, and all those sorts of things. And I think he carried the belt well and looked good in pictures and, and was a good representative from that point of view. But man, you know, I watched three or four of his NWA title matches. None of them did a thing for me. None of them had any sort of buzz, at least in our circle. And, um, you know, they're way better off with Nick Aldis in the rear view. And uh, if you could handpick, we talked about this last week, if you could handpick an NWA champion out of realistic altern- uh, alternatives, uh, people who realistically you could put it on, Cody's your number one pick. There's nobody else on earth you're putting this title on. Um, if, if, if you have your way and can pick anyone you want, that's the guy you pick. So to get the title on him, I think is, is enormous for the NWA. And I'm very curious where they go from here. Yeah. I don't know that I have necessarily a ton of other, all this things. I think the one thing that you mentioned about the, you know, looking good in a suit and good for presentation and something, I think that played a huge role in all this being the guy that, that, that they picked and the guy that they used for a while. And, and I, again, like the idea that it was going to go to Cody at this 10,000 seat. I mean, that, that was a flicker. I mean, that, that was not the idea when they gave all this the title that the, all this was supposed to be the guy for quite a while. Um, but it just, yeah, to me, 
I, I'm happy it's over. Like I, I'm happy the all this thing is over because I, I just I, I'm with you. I've seen a bunch of his matches. I've seen two of them live. Nothing did a thing for me. The ten pounds of gold. I don't know that he did an incredible job in there. I don't know that he was necessarily a great central figure. But you know, talking to Dave and 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 both on and off the record, I started to get a little bit more with 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 Nick, and I started to get a little bit more of the reason why they chose him. And I think you mentioned it kind of facetiously, but not you know qualified it by saying I, it actually is something. Is that no, you, I meant it. Yeah, him looking good in a suit was an important part of what they wanted to do. They wanted an aura of respectability. They wanted a guy that wasn't a carny, a guy that looked the part, a guy that had a little bit of a resume, a guy that seemingly gets along with a lot of people, a guy that has connections to to a bunch of people in wrestling, a guy that's worked with a lot of people all across the world and and worked with people on stuff, a guy that's done TV wrestling and stuff. And, And honestly, there isn't a whole lot of those guys. Is there there aren't a lot of those guys you know at the picking and ready for you to utilize and and, and use to be kind of your figurehead of nwa so i get that all this and, and i i'm 100 with you i think he's he was kind of a dud for the most part too or like you said the two-star special that is kind of nick all this but i think it wasn't important to sort of transition from the tim Storm, and, and that's nothing taking nothing away from the tim storm obviously this show was nothing if not like the biggest tim storm cheerleaders there were but to to bridge the gap between tim storm and whatever that next step of nwa was going to be somebody like nick aldis worked well for that i don't know if there was a better person than nick aldis to do that but somebody like him somebody that again looks good in a suit has an aura of respectability a guy that's not going to stick you up for money a guy that can cut a decent enough promo a guy that has a decent enough good look a guy that that doesn't have a reputation that a bunch of people hate a guy that's people will work with that other companies know and stuff. And, and that, that is unfortunately Magnus. You know what I mean? That is Nick Aldis and Magnus. So I can't hate him on it. It's, it's one of these things where in hindsight it worked. I didn't like it while it was going on and I'm glad it's over. If all those make sense. I could agree with that. I could agree that in hindsight it worked uh, now that, you know, we got to this destination and I can agree that, look, you would have preferred it on a more buzzworthy person. Sure. But, Again, the other thing is you got to get people to agree to this too, you know. And it's 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 and the money has to work, and you got to be willing to be followed around by Dave Lagana twenty four seven, and 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 there's that aspect to it too, you know. So all those things considered, and all the things you just mentioned in hindsight, I, yeah, I I can see why why they did go with. And he, look, he did defend the title a billion times all over the globe. I mean, the guy did work hard. Um, I didn't particularly love his matches. I thought the David Starr match was was probably the best match I saw, and that wasn't much of a match. Uh, this match, look, this didn't have to be a great match because they nailed everything else. If they hadn't nailed everything else, the atmosphere, the entrances, uh, capturing the emotion the way that they did, the 10 pounds of gold both before and after this, which were home runs, knocked it out of the park. If they didn't nail all of that, I think the match quality would have mattered more. But it wasn't a horrendous match. It was it was a it was a it was an okay match, but the total package was a home run. Oh, certainly, and I think so you can get away with an okay match in that case. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the awesome moments of this, and and again, we talked about. I, I talked to Dave on this. Uh, it's on the, the Patreon as well about. To me, one of the biggest moments, and, and I want to talk to you about this a little bit because this has been a lot of our identity as NWA related stuff from the beginning that the show has has went on. Is is there was that moment where Cody and Aldis get in the ring, they do the introductions, the match, the bell rings, the match is about to start, and everybody just starts cheering, and the crowd all gets up, and everyone's giving them a standing ovation, and Cody and Aldis milk it for everything it's worth. They look back and forth, the other sort of stuff, and they're getting this raucous reaction, and it was surreal to me. It's like, oh my god, this is an NWA title match. 
and it's getting this. And I'm thinking back, and I'm, I, I, you know, I'm getting uh, weirdly emotional about it, not because that, like, oh my god, this pro wrestling moment, what an unbelievable moment, which it was, it absolutely was. But I'm thinking back to our life cycle as a podcast. I'm thinking of yeah. our life cycle as a show and, and as a website, and thinking, oh my god, when we started the show, one of the things that we would always do is like, hey, let's check in, on, check in on the NWA so we can laugh at it. Oh, right. what stupid shit did the NWA do this week? And I even told this little guy, like, you know, there were there were weeks where we'd have nothing going on. And I would say, ah, you know what? Let's let's go make fun of the NWA. Let's go find out some fucking NWA result that happened and, and laugh at it. Well, who the hell is the champion? Joe, you would have a segment. There were segments where you would say, oh, guess who the NWA national champion yeah, right? like anybody you know fucking missouri valley champion is and I, I don't know who the fuck it is oh yeah it's this guy he hasn't defended it in two years or whatever it was a laughing stock those acronym that acronym was a, a laughing stock the words nwa were something we would laugh at and we would always talk about okay well now here's the new drama that we're hearing oh hey bruce starf did this or this guy did this or you know adam pierce and cole cabana won the titles wait no they didn't anymore now they're gone now cahagas has it like that was a joke for the first time in this entire show's life I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, the NWA is respectable again. The NWA is something, even during the Tim Storm stuff, even when we were like, no, this is good stuff, what did we hear? We heard, ah, yeah, it's still the NWA. I'm not about right. to watch that stuff. Ah, it's still the NWA. It's, it's, it's a fat school teacher who can't wrestle. I don't give a shit about that or whatever. And we would say, okay, well, you're missing a pretty good stuff. But for the first time ever, it was like, holy shit, in the six, seven years that we've done the show, the NWA means something. The NWA is respected, and this entire crowd is losing their fucking mind but, for the beginning of an NWA still, title match. Yeah, but can I say this though? I think it could have been literally anyone across from Cody. Oh no, no, I agree. No, I'm, I'm just saying the, the NWA moment, in general. It's like because that was this was based. You know what this was? This was an NWA World Title Challenge and win in front of a hometown crowd. It was an old school 1978. Cody won it in essentially his quote unquote hometown. And he got the hometown pop in the beginning. They were booing all this out of the building because this was Cody's show. It was his hometown, and he won it. You know, it could have been anyone across the ring. With that said, it was fine that it was all this. You, you, you see what I'm trying to I, say? I see, but like, I don't think he's. I don't think it's getting a standing ovation if it's Josephus. And Josephus is capturing well, Josephus would have been Pharaoh wrong because, from a house or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no. I agree with you. But Josephus yeah. is a gimmick. You know, but but if it would have been. Hot indie wrestler named B that that won it six months. Oh no no, that I, I agree. I'm saying Cody pop. that was Cody's yeah, hometown. No, I agree, and I think there was a proof of concept too to the NWA meaning something as well. And I, I think that's all I'm saying is I'm saying the ten yeah. pounds of gold, all the work that they've been doing, all this or not, you know, all the, forget all this. Just think of of the yeah, work yeah. that NWA has done to try to resurrect that brand and that name. I think that was important to it because if it was just some random fucking title and the NWA what was what it was, the thing that we laughed about for years and years and years, I don't think it has that same aura. I don't think you get that standing ovation. I I think you get a great reaction for Cody. I don't think it means as much unless there was some sort of weight to the NWA like there hadn't been in, in years and years and years. So I think I think that played a little part of it. I, I agree You're with right, you. That but, but at the same time, that's the nuance of this discussion because I don't think all this enhanced that at all. I'm not saying all this did. I'm not, I don't know why you keep bringing that up. I'm saying that just in general, I'm talking about the the, the concept of the NWA in general of doing the 10 pounds of gold and, and, and this entire touring brand and all the silly stuff that they've done around that. Is, yeah. I'm saying proof of. Con I'm not saying that it was because of all this that the crowd went nuts. I'm saying that that what the NWA did was important, whether it was all this or not. It could have been indie wrestler B or whatever, but I think the presentation of indie wrestler B or Nick Aldis was a big part of it as well. The NWA not being a laughing stock was a big part of it getting that reaction. Not necessarily a, all this himself. Yeah, being all, the, the all this time of of right, the work that they've done, they've put into even with some of the stuff we haven't liked is what you're saying. I got you. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying all this didn't hurt it. 
I don't know if he enhanced it at all, but I don't think he hurt it in a sense. I, I, right? You know what? That's perfect. I think he just he didn't help it. He didn't hurt it. Yeah, that's Nick Aldis. He's just there. Yeah, he's right. always yeah, just exactly. been the there. The floor is there. He's not going to shit the bed, but he's not going to you know he's not going to make the bed either. He's just like you know, it's just kind of there. But yeah, like if this was a Josephus or a Cahagas or you know any. A big daddy yum yum, you know what I mean? Like any Especially of those if they were gimmicky. Right, any of those past but, names. But let me but... tell you, but here's the, but here's a you know what? That's perfect. It could have been Rob Conway. Yeah. I think he gets the same effect with Rob Conway. He looks damn good in a suit too. You know, it's like <laughs> it, 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 and Maybe, it isn't yeah. it is it is about the same level as a as a wrestler. I I prefer Conway to, to all this, but it's not like I think Conway's a super worker. And you know, that's the other thing too. I think, you know, like you said, we were one of the only outlets that were really covering the NWA from the pre-Bruce Tharp era through the Bruce Tharp era into this era. Okay, Bruce Tharp did do some good things. He got oh, that sure. title on NWA shows. On, on um, I'm sorry, on New Japan show. shows. He got that title in the Tokyo Dome. He got that title, you know, on uh, as New Japan w- was rising up. You know, he had Rob Conway defending that thing. He had that thing put on Kojima. He had that thing put on Tenzon, you know, and, 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 you know, he had his junior title put on Liger and Killer Elite Squad were the tag team champ. There were good things done by Bruce Tharp, um, you know, in terms of, of, of raising the, I think, I think the Tharp era did do some positive things to kind of set the deck for these guys. What they've done has been way above and beyond what Tharp did, but you look pre Tharp era. It was a, absolute complete and total joke what was good people buying title reigns and things of that you know the almighty sheik just paying to, to, to you know that kind of stuff kind of went away under tharp and, and he did raise the profile by aligning himself with the new japan uh office and those sorts of things and i thought rob conway was a competent champion people because remember rich we used to defend that too i mean people would say oh, rob con well who else were you gonna put it on you know what I mean? He was like the best of their options. Well, yeah, that and that's why I that's I kind of liken all this to that as well a little bit, where it's like, you know what? It's it's at least he's not a carny. You know what I mean? At least he's not because that's what NWA was for years and years and years and years. Yeah. And years. And people forget that as straight up fucking carnies, like these guys that you just couldn't trust for a half a second. Guys that are buying, guys that had no business being NWA champions. Rob Conway was a perfect NWA champion. He was for his exactly, time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right. It maybe maybe it was going to blow your doors off. He wasn't going to be great, but he was fine. He was competent. You could trust yes. the guy that he would go out there and have an okay wrestling match and not hold you up for money or or or, or get arrested or do you know? I mean, this is that it's a low bar for the NWA, but it was a low bar. It was as low as you could fucking go. You know what I mean? Like, and that's I think uh, uh, just that uh, to just have people rising to their feet and going nuts for an NWA title match, I thought was just you know. Amazing, given where it was when we started the show, and 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 you know to the point where, and I mentioned this, to Dave as well. Like you and I joked about buying an NWA territory because we could. We found a we fucking, yeah. we found the it's, thing, and it was like not that expensive. Like you and I both were like, ah, you know what, that would be fun, you know. And I and I think to some extent too, they lucked out with inheriting Tim Storm, another, you know, professional. Yes. Oh yeah. And 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 a guy who you could do something with and tell a story with. And they really lucked out from that perspective too, because they could have inherited something a lot worse. Absolutely. Um, but you know, so so yeah. But this this whole segment was a massive win, and um, you know, I'm happy for everybody involved. Uh, match itself, where where would you probably rank it? I think it's I think the live experience because I've seen everybody that saw it live had it a little bit ahead of everybody that saw it on pay per view. So I'm curious where you uh, were. You it was live? a lower end match on this show for sure, uh, but it was an average match or slightly above average. Um, 
you know, but it wasn't any kind of great match that I want to revisit. I don't want to revisit the match. I would revisit, you know, the pomp and circumstance surrounding it. Um, but it was, it was, look, it was a Nick Aldis match, you know, mm-hmm. and Cody's not so, you know, it's like, look, we've talked about Cody for years on this show and what we think of him as a wrestler, you know, and, and we don't think he's terrible, but we just don't think he's particularly good either. But like, he's way better than Nick Aldis. I mean, you know, it's like Nick Aldis is just, I talk about Jags a lot. I mean, he's a total Jag. I mean, there's just not much you can do with a Nick Aldis. I mean, Adam watched him have a match with David Starr, who has good matches in his sleep, and it was barely passable. So, you know, it, it's Nick Aldis. For a Nick Aldis match, it wasn't that bad, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I rank it pretty highly. I think I'd probably rank it more because that, that in, being in that atmosphere, I think, helped it a lot. So I'm I'm probably at about like three and a half, four stars for that right in between. And I get where people have watched it. If you're watching it on, on video on demand or you're watching it on pay-per-view, I totally get it. I get that this match wouldn't show off the page. But that pomp and circumstance, it built in a lot to me. You know what I mean? It, it really did help it's me. And even in the that. moment, it was like, holy shit, like everybody's living and dying by every near fall. Like everybody in the crowd's going nuts for everything. So I think that always helps a match. And that with that sort of buy-in of a match as well. And we'll talk about a, a match here in a little bit that I know that you have in tremendous buy-in with i had a little less buy-in and i think that's the reason why we, we rate it it's not on this show it's, on, it's another thing we're talking about right, right. another segment where i saw uh you tweet out about it but that buy-in that sort of okay i'm in you have me i'm invested i was invested in this match and like yeah it wasn't great probably you know if i went back and rewatched it, and that's kind of a big reason why i don't want to go back and rewatch it because i'm positive i'm gonna i'm gonna dislike it a lot more if i go back and rewatch it but right now it's very positive in my mind i really do enjoy it so it's like one of those ones i'm kind of kind of bottle that up and go no it, in the moment it was awesome not my favorite match on the entire show but but certainly up there certainly one of my favorite matches on the entire show not my probably not my top three or whatever but one that i enjoyed i'd, I'd put it in the top half of, uh, of the show mostly I don't even, because of the circumstances and stuff look as long as they don't go out there and shit the bed with everything else that was surrounding it it, it was going to be a look it, the bell to bell wasn't the important thing here no no and it would have been if they didn't nail the rest of it all right, next match here was the Chicago Street Fight Hangman Page, Joey Janela. In my preview, I said I thought this was the sleeper match of the night. In uh, last time when we previewed it, we said it was the sleeper match of the night. God damn it, Joe. These guys went out there and fucking killed it. This match rocks. Yeah, it's, it's the first great match of the show. Um, look, this was a Joey Janela match through and through. You know, And um, there were three spots where um, he put his basically his life at risk. You know, the burning <laughs> hammer from the apron through the ladder. And then, um, you know, the, the power bomb off of the... Uh, off of the stage where where Hangman didn't really get him up high enough, so he only went through one of the tables and almost missed it. And then the the finish with the um, with the rite of passage off the ladder straight down through the table head first, which could have went very poorly. Um, you know, an inch here, an inch there, a uh, bad angle here, a bad angle there. Joey Janela still laying there. So um, yeah, great match. It delivered, um, you know, as well as it could have, and it was the first great match of the show. Yeah, I thought it was uh, really good. And one of the things that I mentioned as well in, in my preview, and I mentioned last week that, you know, Joey Janela is not getting his credit because he's a re- he's a good wrestler these days. You know, what I mean, he's 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 out there and he's having good wrestling matches. And then we, you know, I, we found out that it was a Chicago Street Fight after I think we recorded the show. And then I basically went, ah, he's just going to go out there and kill himself. And then that's what he did. You know what I mean? Like, and he's great at that, too. But, you know, I, I was expecting it to maybe be like a, you know, well-worked Joey Janela match. But I'm fine with like Joey Janela tries to kill himself matches, too, because he's really good at that. And Hangman Page is really good at those plunder matches as well. So it actually it worked out perfectly. Uh, all things considered. So I was I was a big fan of this. And Joe, uh, we have to talk about the post-match angle, of course. Um, people that don't follow being the elite, I, you, you probably have to go back and watch it to kind of get some context or whatnot. But Joey Ryan died. Uh, they show him from a hospital bed on the Jumbotron. Uh, he has a boner, uh, and the 10,000 people in the crowd 
<laughs> explode at the sight of a boner, Joe. It was quite uh, the moment, and then a uh, cavalcade of inflatable penises come out to the ring. Uh, Joey, <laughs> Joey Ryan, how do you even describe it? Joey Ryan beats up Hangman Page. Uses his penis, of course, and then the uh, dru- druid peni uh, ha- uh, grab Hangman Page and bring him to the back <laughs> to end the segment. How do you even? Uh, what? What even? Yeah, I mean, even, I, I don't look, know what to say. <laughs> look, I have no use for this. I have no use for <laughs> Joey Ryan. I have no use for this. I don't watch Being the Elite, um, so I, you know, I, it's I don't care about any of that. Uh, I had no use for this. This is just utter nonsense to me because I can't stand Joey Ryan. I respect Joey Ryan for carving out a niche. And it's like Joey Ryan says, and he's absolutely right. 30 years from now, he can be doing this shtick because he doesn't ever take a bump. Um, and he can continue to make money off it. And, you know, so good on him for figuring out a way and carving a niche. And it would almost feel disingenuous to have this indie super show, which really felt like an all-star game. It really did. One of my fears coming in was that it was going to feel like an ROH show, you know, and it didn't at all. It didn't feel like an ROH show at all. It felt like an indie all-star game. You had in the commentary booth alone, you had PWG, Ring of Honor, and Impact and New Japan in your commentary booth with Don Callis, Excalibur, and, uh, and Ian Riccoboni. The Battle Royal, you have, you know, all these different various promotions represented and to me, it would it would have felt a little disingenuous to have an indie super show celebrating the climb of indie wrestling in this era without having Joey Ryan on it. Because love him or hate him, and I can't stand him, the guy's a big deal on the indie scene. And there's promotions lined up around the block. I mean, he gets booked everywhere, from your biggest indies to your VFW hall down the street. Everybody wants a piece of this guy. He's a star. He's an indie star. So it wasn't for me. I don't like Joey Ryan. This was stupid in my, you know, I just roll my eyes at this, but I get it. Plus, you're paying off that being the elite stuff, which again is not for me. I'm not into Hangman Page's boots talking to him. <laughs> right, right. It's not. It's garbage to me. It's garbage. But you know, it's it's like, look, it was over in the building. I get why you want Joey Ryan there. Plus, he has history with the Bucks. You know he's going to be there. And um, if you're going to have an indie all star game. Um, to culminate the last half decade of indie wrestling, and, and this was the pinnacle event, you almost have to have Joey Ryan there. He does, and I think one thing that was important about that is, yeah, I have really no use for it either, and and you know, it was fun because the crowd was into it, but I think what was an important part of this, and I'm glad that it was the way it was, is that this sort of bullshit was done after the match. You know what I mean? The match was over. The match had a little bit of the boot stuff, but the match itself, nothing in the match got affected by this. We all knew. I think everybody knew that at some point Joey Ryan was going to show up. At some point, something with Joey Ryan's dick was going to happen. You know what I mean? Or we talked about last week. Is this going to be a dick match or a good match? Is it going to be a match surrounded by Paige and, and, and Janela and, and Ryan talking about their dicks and touching their dick and doing all that sort of stuff? And it wasn't. You know what I mean? They had their match, and then there was the dick stuff. And then there yeah. was your being the elite thing. And I love the idea of just kind of saying, hey, we're not going to like ruin this match by having that sort of stuff in here. This match is going to feel like it's a normal match. But then when the match is over, then we'll do our stuff. Then we'll have kind of that shtick. And I like the idea that you waited and then did that after. I think that was a, a, a nice way to not ruin a, a match that could have been really good in a match that it would have been very easy. Just have Joey Ryan come out and them just, you know, play around with their dicks for the, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. But yeah. they didn't do that, which I thought was, was a good idea as well to kind of keep it separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, next match here, it's singles match, uh, world, uh, ROH world title. Uh, Flip Gordon, of course, win the Battle Royal, so he gets a shot at Jay Lethal, who, if you watch being the Elite, uh, he was obviously going to come out as Black Machismo. He came out as Black Machismo, uh, big pop from the crowd, a uh, little added note uh, with uh, Lanny Poffo coming out. 
build from Downers Grove, which I got a huge pop out of old rich crates here. And um, one of the cool things, too, is that we we found out from one of our sources that that jacket that Jay Lethal was wearing, which in the building, everybody was like, holy shit, that's a really nice jacket that Jay Lethal's wearing. Like, where did he have that one? Did he just it was Macho Man's original jacket from when he debuted in WCW in 1995. So uh, Pafo gave him that Lenny Pafo, of course, gave him that as I, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep it or just kind of a hey for tonight wear this jacket. But a really cool uh, nod to, to Randy and really cool nod to uh, uh, doing it in Chicago as well. Savage has a ton of uh, of obviously history in Chicago. Uh, having a big man Savage alone will get you a big pop, and I thought it was a great idea to have Lethal come out and be Machismo, and I think it improves it a lot. I hope <laughs> if Jay Lethal's always like Machismo, I'm probably fine with that as well because I think it's it, it adds a little bit of an element to his character. But uh, that was a pretty good match, not great, uh, maybe one of the worst matches on the show, but that's kind of a sliding scale here because I thought it was still pretty well worked. I thought it was the worst match on the show. It was fine. Two star special. It yeah. was there. Um, I don't have a ton to say about it. I thought that, uh, you know, when, when Flip won the Battle Royal and everyone was talking about how insane the crowd went, I was like, shit, call an audible and have him win the title tonight. Make a star, right? Um, did did it cool off for the match? The Was it more about the surprise of Flip taking off the mask? Or were people behind Flip um, during this match? I feel like it was more, yeah, I, I, we, we felt that in the audience, too, is that once he took the mask off and did all that sort of stuff, I was like, oh, my God, Flip's on the show. But then once the match started, it was like, ah, yeah, it's Flip Gordon. Right, so, I mean? like, so it didn't it carry really, over into the match. It really where didn't. It, really it, it wasn't 10,000 people wanting Flip Gordon to win this title. No, I really think. And then especially with Lethal coming out as machismo, you almost had a people yeah. being like, ah, you know what? I'd be fine if Lethal won. You know, I think there was a lot of people rooting for Lethal, too. So I think it was more, yeah. oh, great, Flip's on the show, but we don't really care if flip wins the title right now that's not that big of a deal to us we just wanted him to get on the show i feel like you know what i mean that crowd wanted flip to be on the show but then you know once it once he was on the show i was like oh okay you know yeah match did nothing for me let's get to the final three matches here you kenny omega defeating uh pentagon jr uh penta l0m whatever you want to call him uh what do you think of this one omega and pentagon this was fucking great this was the best match on the show i went four and a half on this and what it showed me was we talked a lot about a potential styles clash between these two this was a New Japan main event, and Pentagon Jr. was able to work a Kenny Omega New Japan-style main event. And, you know, it's like I wasn't sure. Look, I know Pentagon can have great matches, but I didn't know he could have a great match in that particular style, and he did. With, you know, uh, finisher, uh, counter, you know, with counter, you know, he countered the one-winged angel three times before he finally got hit with it. Um you know, uh, it, it's just it was a it was a total New Japan modern New Japan style main event, and Pentagon was with Kenny Omega every step of the way, and I love this match. I thought it was great. Yeah, and you were worried that, uh, and, and and rightfully to be worried that you know Penta wouldn't be able to do that, and that Omega would either have to become a brawler or that they they wouldn't be able to find kind of their their perfect balance. But it was just, I just Omega maybe they, doing, wouldn't, they wouldn't mesh. But yeah, but Omega just did cool. Omega things, and Penta just said, "All right, cool, yeah, I'll do that," <laughs> like, and, and did it, and and did it quite well too, with a little bit of added uh, you know tenacity to it as well. You know, you have uh, you know Penta doing the Cerro Miedo, you have uh, Kenny Omega slapping him, like that sort of stuff. I thought was really awesome to see and a lot of fun to see those two dudes uh, just chalk it up. And, and and you had everybody kind of do their greatest hits as well, which is what you're going to kind of get with the Kenny Omega match in 2018, which I, you know, some people hate it. I, I have no problem with it. It's fine with me, you know. And I, I thought Penta was able to shine a little bit as well. It wasn't just Kenny Omega doing his shit and getting the shit Oh, in. hell no. Pentagon yeah. looked great. Yeah, Pentagon looked great. Got the arm breaker on him. And then Kenny. Yeah, uh, I think that was a great near fall. Yeah. That was a tremendous false finish. There were people who bought into that. 
Oh, you know, I was like, one of them too. I was like, oh fuck, they're gonna have you know the IWGP yeah. champion lose. Like, what the fuck? Like, I thought Kenny would be still selfless, and he's like, ah, I don't care, whatever, who cares? You know, beat me. Yeah, not a big deal. But yeah, so then uh, you haven't had to do the arm breaker, get the near fall, and then um, and then have Omega sort of sell that well, and then when he does the one wing angel, uh, do do the sell with the arm as well. I thought it was really cool. Uh, aspect to it as well so I, I enjoyed that but yeah i thought really really good match definitely my favorite match on the entire show um as well so yeah really really delivered um and yeah it was a hell of a lot of fun uh to see live and that that's one of those surreal matches too when we talk about like this is one that's like ah this show is creating this you know what i mean like no other maybe somewhere down the line there'll be a scenario where these two guys will meet but in no other way shape or form would kenny omega and penta be against each other you know it's one of those it was a legitimate yeah it was a legitimate dream match and it delivered yeah like you said the all-star game like this you would never see this matchup like this just doesn't happen there's no need for this to happen and it did on this night so it was one of those old school you know the old school baseball all-star games before you know interleague play where it was like holy shit it's willie mays versus you know pop you know like one of those things it was like holy shit like this would never happen normally but yeah it's great to have that happen i don't know bob feller and willie mays had to have been in believe it together right yeah of course they were yeah, yeah in the 50 early yeah. the mid 50s yeah well maybe yeah i'm, I'm trying sure. to wonder feller was kind of winding down by that point but i don't know well, if maze well, maze was a rookie in 51 okay oh no they would have crossed over then yeah because feller so was feller still. feller was still pitching into the mid 50s i think yes we've now all so, our european uh, fans they don't like when we talk about modern baseball what do they think about 50s baseball yeah I like how those are the names I pull, but I had to pull like some pre-interleague, you know, and you know, Willie Mays and Bob Feller. Uh, the ones. Okay. Now I'm uh, wondering if Bob Feller faced Willie Mays in an all-star. Yeah, we should now. look that up. Yeah, we should, we should find out for sure. Um, I'll do, I'll anyway. do some sleuthing uh, when we get on another topic, but uh, then we had Okada and Marty Skrull in the uh, much maligned 26 minute affair. Uh, but man, this was a real fun match too. Little slow at the beginning, and I think that kind of hurt it a little bit. Is that it? It, it seemed like it was kind of, it, it was kind of stuck in molasses for a little while, and then when they got going, it got going, and it really recovered in the last five ten minutes or so, and became a really good match. Where it, for a while there, it was looking like, oh geez, like what is going on here? These guys are shit in the bed. And then, man, those last five ten minutes were fucking awesome. The two hundred five live uh, gesture by Okada that uh, Marty turns into the the finger breaker. We knew the Rainmaker umbrella spot was going to happen. It of course happened. But man, I thought there was a lot of good stuff in this one. A lot of good near falls. And the last five to ten minutes really recovered what was on its way to be kind of a disappointing match. Yeah, um, this was. I just talked about Pentagon Junior working a New Japan modern New Japan main event. This was Marty Scroll's attempt. And he wasn't as good as Pentagon was because, like you said, this match got off to a very slow start, uh, but it did finish well. They did nail the closing stretch. The closing stretch was incredible. Um, and, and you know, Skrull did work in a lot of his gimmick, you know, with the villain stuff. They did the ref bump, so he hit Okada with the umbrella. I had no problem with that because that's Skrull's gimmick. Um, he's the villain. So that would have bothered me in, in, in another scenario, maybe with another wrestler to do a ref bump there after this long match. But that, that's what Marty Skrull does. And uh, I really think they nailed the closing stretch. And uh, it ended up being an excellent match despite the slow start. Yeah, and, and uh, pretty cool, too, to have Tiger Hattori be the uh, referee. He got a huge pop as well when they announced him. So that was kind of cool to see him. He seemed like generally like, like taken aback that so many people cheered for him. It's one of those things where like, you know, the New Japan announcers were so surprised that everybody knew Minoru Suzuki's you know, theme music at, at, a, at an ROH show in America. But Tiger Hattori, too, he hears like the crowd. He's like, what? what? No, you don't know who I am. I'm, I'm just whoever. But I, he kind of plays it up a little bit, too. But uh, yeah, it was still a pretty cool moment uh, to see that. But yeah, I thought they really recovered this and, and, and did well. 
Uh, then you had your main events here. Uh, 11 minutes and 48 seconds for uh, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Kota Bushi versus uh, Rey Mysterio, Ray Phoenix, and Bandito. I can kind of tell you the live um, – what was going on live is is they initially hit i forget whose music hit first i believe a ray mysterio's music hit and there was a long time before he came out and you could see where we were sitting we could see everybody kind of before the entranceway and you could see these guys talking and chatting and chatting and doing that sort of stuff and 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 and, and in the press booth we're looking at that and going oh they're they're like because we're looking at the time we're going okay look they only have 15 more minutes so the show's over they must be figuring out something or doing whatever or, or, or uh, we don't know what the hell they were talking about or doing what we come to find out is they were probably you know hey how are we going to chop off 12 or so minutes of this match how are we going to come out for the entrances what are we going to do to to kind of speed this up because we're up against the clock here so everybody kind of comes out to one entrance theme which i think was fine it didn't really lose anything from that but uh would have been nice to see kota bushi's music because i've never i've never seen kota live uh, before that but not a huge deal either way so everybody kind of comes out and they don't waste any fucking time bell rings and it's action 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 the entire time and and yeah it would have been great if this match got the 10 more minutes that it was supposed to get but man joe like for 12 minutes i it was like you know with, you know we're probably the wrong people to judge this because we love these fucking matches where there's like non-stop action like that I'll, I'll take that i'm fine with that i didn't mind it at all that it was only 12 minutes i think it actually maybe in some ways enhanced it that it was just like it may have, let's it may fucking have, go it, like yeah they may have skipped the bullshit that right. they were going to do early in the match, and it may have actually worked in their favor. Now, yeah, in a perfect world, I would have liked everyone to have all the proper time that they had, but at the end of the day, I don't didn't affect my enjoyment of this match or the show at all. Um, Marty Skrull went on Sean Mooney's podcast, and he claims that his match with Okada only went one minute over. The show was already over to that point, and the Jacksons, I forget which Jackson, whether he said Nick or Matt, he said one of the Jacksons told him, hey, look, Go out there and don't cut anything. Go out there and have your match. We know what it means to you. Go out there and have your match. So he shrugged his shoulders and said, okay. And they went out there and they had their match in, in the time that they were allotted. And they went uh, one minute over what they were supposed to go. They didn't go over 14 minutes like people were saying. The show was already 14 minutes. Now, do you believe Marty Skrull when he says that? I don't know. I don't see any reason not to believe him. He's, he, and then he said the reason he didn't come out for the curtain call deal at the end is because he was in the shower. This is his claim. He claims he was in the shower because uh, his match had ended. Uh, you cool down, you shake hands, you thank your opponent, and, uh, and then you take your shower. So he says he didn't. He, it wasn't planned. They weren't planning on doing a big curtain call. He didn't know that they were out there uh, until after he got out of the shower. So that's Marty Skrull's claim. Your mileage may vary on what you make of that, but I don't think that this main event was hurt uh, by the loss of time. I guess we'll never know. I didn't feel like watching it. Now, keep in mind, I'm not watching the show live. I'm watching it three days later, knowing all of this controversy went down. So I'm going into this looking for a rushed main event. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I have a different perspective than you. I went into it looking for, okay, let me see how these guys deal with this time issue. And then I'm like, wait a minute. They went out there and had a fucking 14-minute match or whatever it was, and it was really fucking good. What's everybody fucking jawing about? I I just didn't understand it. And it's like I said earlier, I'm not going to repeat the same rant. I really think people are making way too big a deal of it. This is just pro wrestling, man. This shit happens. This shit happens on most pro wrestling shows. I I really don't see what the the big deal is. But um, you know, I I thought the main event ended up – I thought Rey Mysterio – Look, I buried him for the last New Japan show he worked because I didn't think he looked good at all. I thought he looked great here. He so I want to be fair. Here. Yeah, he looked I awesome want to be here. fair. He looked great here. He looked much better than he did the last time around in New Japan. And it was like a world of fucking difference. He looked sharp. He looked – everything was fucking on point. Man, did he look good here. So um, I wanted to make sure I said that too. 
in case people think I was just being unfair for some reason. I don't know, but you never know when you know when people listen to this show. But he looked great here, especially in comparison to how he looked in New Japan. And man, did they do some cool stuff in this? Match. <laughs> they really did, and I mean, and that's one of the big reasons why I say that. Like, yeah, it probably would have been a better match if they had gotten ten more minutes. But man, I fucking loved the idea that like twelve minutes of just fucking guys going nuts and doing flips and all that sort of stuff, and knowing that their match was getting crunched, and knowing that they and and you could tell it live too. I mean, we looked at the clock and went, oh boy, they they have about. 12 minutes to get this whole thing in and god damn it they did it and, and that was it was fun knowing that these dudes probably said all right look here's what we got let's go out there so hold all... on. Let, me, let me cut you off so in the building you're aware that they only have about 10 to 12 well, minutes. we're looking at it we're and again we're in the press row so we're all a bunch of fucking sure. nerds looking at like we're, we're like you know looking at the time and going oh geez like how long do they have for pay-per-view time and a lot of us are thinking ah you know it's 10 o'clock probably maybe they have an overrun and then some of us are going well you know WWE has an overrun because they have like a reputation on pay-per-view maybe these guys don't have that same you know rap or aren't going to be able to kind of do it or don't want to do that or they didn't buy the time or whatever so that they, yeah we're looking at it and we they you know everybody's in the ring and it's you know 13 minutes before 10 o'clock or whatever the time was going to be and we're like yeah they're probably gonna end around 10 if, if you know if not just a minute or two over so we're kind of anticipating it being a, a quick paced match i think we got even more than we were bargained for with this where it was just balls to the fucking wall the entire time but i appreciated yeah. knowing that these guys maybe and like I said, I saw that little powwow happening before everybody came out, knowing, okay, look, guys, we have 13 minutes. Let's just go, you know, this. We'll cut this out. We'll do that. And, and it being, you know, we always talk about this all the time. We take for granted pro wrestling. We take for granted how easy it is because we see these guys go out here and do incredible things and do awesome stuff and do all this. We take for granted how often guys don't get injured. Remember, we had that rant a few months ago. Yes. I think we take for granted how hard it is to plan together a match as well, knowing that these guys probably had a 22-minute match planned out a little bit, knowing, hey, fuck, we got 12 minutes, but it's Rey Mysterio. It's Kota Bushi, It's the Jackson's, it's Phoenix, it's Bandito who's who probably had to get led through a lot of this. But you know what I mean? Like that's the art of pro wrestling right there. Is those guys saying, "All right, look, we got ten minutes cut off. We're gonna make it work." You know, and uh, hey, Coda, when we do this, you do this, and and we're we're talking about two. We're talking a bunch of two dudes, two brothers from California, a guy from Japan. You know, Rey Mysterio, <laughs> guys from Mexico. You know, like the idea, the universal language of wrestling. Like it never ceases to amaze me. That like you can get these guys in a room together and they're just such good wrestlers and they're so good at what they do that they can just lose 10 minutes of a match and still come out with this and still come out something that looked as perfect as ever that things ever just everything just worked. You know what I mean? Like Kodobushi just decides to do the golden triangle at the right time and, and does this at the right time and does this at the, like everything just worked perfectly. You would have no idea that these dudes probably had a powwow where they had to cut 10 minutes off their match. You know what I mean? Like I love yeah, that about wrestling sometimes. Spots, yeah. And then these, yeah, well, you know, you've got six great wrestlers. Well, and someone's got to have to take a bath too. And, and like, it looked like Ray Phoenix maybe was the guy that just got, cause he didn't do a ton of stuff in this match. And it might've been like, all right, look, someone's gonna have to lose some stuff. Bandito was a guy who I think still got his stuff in. Maybe this guys and especially Rey Mysterio probably was like, no, 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 man, I'll do a little bit less. Let Bandito, you know, let this guy, let him do some stuff because this is his moment. Rey Mysterio doesn't need this moment. Rey Mysterio's just going out there to get you know his last little paycheck yeah, yeah. before he goes to WWE. And I'm, I'm sure the Jacksons are, you know, they're, they're selfless guys in a lot of ways. Like you said, they told Marty, hey, keep going. I'm sure they said, hey, Coda, do your stuff. But everybody's probably like, no, you're, like the idea that there's this, this is going on, like this managing of time, this this redistribution of time is fascinating to me. And then when it's to, to minutes before do what they did and then come out with this is is, is amazing because the match rocked like you know what i mean it was so good and so well worked and so smooth and these guys there's so many moving parts and so many things going on in the ring and for it to work as well as it did given the the, the constraints on it i thought was just a tremendous accomplishment by everybody yeah yeah it, it was it was a great match and i'd, I'd probably feel a lot different about the show running long if if they did struggle or if they did have to rush through some things i think anything less i think less than 10 minutes would have been a disaster but 
Um, they had 12 minutes or 14 minutes or whatever it was. And, and I think – and my whole point is I don't think the large majority of your 10,000 fans sitting there knew the wiser. Right, really right. Don't. Us geeks think- in the press box know that, and the people on Twitter knew it, but I don't think you're run-of-the-mill. I-, I talked to fans after the show, and nobody said, oh, man, I can't believe they got their time cut. Like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody knew that. I knew yeah, it because I was on Twitter. I knew it because we were all nerds in the press box. I don't think you're run-of-the-mill, you know, villain club shirt-wearing fan gave two shits, you know? And, and maybe the reason I'm not so uh, upset about it is because, like I said, I went into the match knowing that this yeah. all went down, and then I watched the match, and I was like, that was fucking great. I was expecting to see a rushed mess. And that's not what I got. I got a match that went in my fucking notebook. I think I went four and a quarter on it. It was fucking insane. You know, so, um, and who knows, it may have just cut off a bunch of extraneous bullshit. Um, but, but I guess we'll never know. And I guess <laughs> like it doesn't selling. matter. I don't care in this match. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Like it's your normal run of the mill fan. I'm sure like, ah, they didn't sell anything. I didn't give a shit. It was Matt Jackson, I, Nick Jackson, Kota Bushi, Rey Mysterio, Ray Phoenix, and Bandito. Don't yeah, fucking don't sell a thing, thing guys. I want, I'm good. I want do some fucking flips. Do some Meltzer drivers, have Phoenix bounce on the ropes, have Bandito doing a twist Phoenix splash. I don't want some fucking selling. I don't give a shit. If they had 25 minutes, you'd think Bandito would have played Ricky Morton for <laughs> Exactly, right. I mean, it, it, like- that's what this match was going to be. I mean, you know, so I, I don't care. And that's what I, you want out of this match. The main event of this big celebration, you want the Bucks to go out there and have a Bucks match. You don't want the Bucks to go out there and, you know, and, and have some Southern tag. I mean, we, la- we laughed because it was kind of the, the perfect encapsulation of this entire show is the Bucks indie run or whatever. You know, this, this kind of the celebration of the Bucks ends with them having a 12-minute no-sell, you know, super kick flip fest, which is exactly what it probably should have been. You know what I mean? Yeah. They almost lucked into it in a way where, you know, if you didn't know that it was a rush, you'd probably think, ah, it's fine. And and after the show, they after the show, you know, the bell go, the, the, you know, the one, two, three happens. I heard on the pay-per-view, it just like went to black right away. Is that is that true? Well, I I don't I don't know. I watched the New Japan World, oh, okay. and and what I did was um, <laughs> nobody really cares. But okay, so I, I was they have the matches broken up into separate files, but they also have one file with the whole show. And right before the main event, my internet went out. So when I went back on New Japan World to watch, I just clicked the match file for the main event. Got it. Every match file ends right at the pin, so I don't know. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, in other words, my what I watched was going to end right at the pin either way. Um, but Nick Jackson was saying that they finished with three seconds to spare. Yes. So I'm guessing it went right to black as soon as he. Now I heard Ian Riccoboni yelling at the end of the match. He was like, "That's it. The bus is up. She win. Thank you, everybody. Like you can clearly hear him rushing his speech. So I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask because I didn't watch the pay per view. Now. I want to ask you this real quick before we move on because we've got a lot to get to. Do you think Marty Skrull is telling the truth about his time not getting cut, him and Okada only going one minute over, there are a lot of time, and him being in the shower and not knowing that there was a curtain call? Or do you think that there's a bit of face-saving going on here you know, with Skrull? What's your gut tell you about what he told Sean Mooney? My gut tells me the, the curtain call I <sighs> I believe the shower thing, or I believe something that he didn't know that the curtain call thing was going to happen. Because I don't think that they would knock him out of that. You know what I mean? Like that's a guy who's done a lot to get them to where they are as well. Marty Scroll has has been an integral, you know, integral part of, of he's the inner circle. Movement. He is yeah, inner he, circle. Yeah. So I don't believe that they said, ah, Marty. I, I believe. So here, I should have prefaced it the way I did it. I don't believe his first thing because 
And again, I don't know if Meltzer is getting worked again, but 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 Dave apparently talked to one of the Jacksons again. I forget which one. And one of the Jacksons said that their match went over. And if you're there live, like people saw it live, people heard it on the pay-per-view too. You could see Bobby Cruz run down and kind of tap the mat and kind of give like a, a sort of, and this was like, you know, five, 10 minutes left with the match. And he's given sort of yeah. a, you know, hey, you know, so the idea that it was one minute over, I don't buy that. I don't well, buy that. Well, there are fans that said they could hear Bobby Cruz saying, take it home, take it right, home. Right, right, right. So I, again, like I didn't, I didn't hear that. I saw Bobby Cruz running back and forth. I saw him kind of hitting the mat a little bit or doing so I don't know if that was to indicate something. I, I don't know if that was to indicate time or whatever. You know, live I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what he was sort of doing, but but I fully believe that that match went more than a minute over. Whether it was the 14 minutes over or whatever that people say or the 16 or whatever it was. I don't know. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. I don't buy the minute. I don't know that I buy the 16 minutes, but I know for sure it wasn't one minute. So I don't buy that part of it. But then I at the same time I don't believe that they were so pissed at him that you know they were about to do the curtain call and said Marty you stay back or fuck you know right, right. no chance in hell this guy is inner circle yeah. as you said this guy is as, as as a big of a part of this being the elite stuff as as anybody so yeah. no I I don't believe that they told him stay in the back you're you know you're not going to come out because that's not these type of guys you know what I mean it's the fucking well, young this, can it can it all be true in other words could they have told him hey go out there and have your match don't worry about the time and then they went over anyway like maybe they were allotted fifteen minutes. And then went over. Do you understand? Yeah, what they I'm said, saying? "Hey, have your time." And then as it's get like twenty minutes in, they're like, "All right, dude, when are you finishing this match? Let's go. Like, we gotta, you know." And, and then maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe they told him, "Yeah, go out there and don't worry about the time." But then they went over. Any, you know, it could all be true. Um, I, I don't know. I think it'd be bizarre for him to go out there and and cover for himself in that manner if they were legit. They'd all have to be. They're very careful about things like this. But at the end of the day, it's like I said, does it really fucking matter? And I, I think people are focusing on the wrong things when it comes to this. Because the show came off well, and everybody got their main event, and, and the finish wasn't in the dark, and everyone was happy. So really, what the fuck are we talking about then? Exactly. Yeah, so I'm, I'm fine with that. And then uh, after after the match, they had a little bit of a promo, like you said, the powwow, the curtain call type thing, and 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 it had cut some good promos. I had, I had the tweets are uh, up there, and I think I have the entire Kenny Omega uh, post match thing on uh, YouTube as well, our YouTube channel, if you want to check that out. But uh, good stuff there. You know, Cody talking about how big of a moment this was. You know, we own pro wrestling, which got a lot of soiled diapers. Um, and then the Bucks talking about you know how awesome it was and Here's what a great the, moment it was. What do, you, so. what do people want him to say? Do people <laughs> want him to go out there and say? We had a great event. WWE is still number one, but, but we, I mean, what do you think he's going to see? He's going to go out there and give a rah-rah promo in front of his family. Why would that right. bother you, and why would you take it as more than a grain of salt? And why would you let that annoy you? I mean, really, what do you want him to say? Yeah. I, it's amazing to me the things that upset people. It's, that was good, but, you know, it's not great. <laughs> they're, they're, of course, is WrestleMania. Nothing will ever top WrestleMania. We got to go, guys. Yeah, See well, you yeah, about yeah, like, yeah, that's what he's going to go out there and do? I mean, he's yeah. going to go out there and put himself over. and put the Plus, he, the adrenaline's running. They're all pumped up. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't get it. People are <laughs> – there's some strange people out there. A lot of diapers soiled, but it is what it is. So that was all in. So we spent quite a while about all in, but it deserved it. Uh, Joe, what do you want to do next? We got plenty of stuff to get to here. We got the Evolve weekend. We got uh, the bouncing around Japan. We got we were going to talk about Bolum possibly. We can we can wait till next weekend to talk about that. Uh, not a okay. big deal. That, that doesn't happen for another week. Oh, we got the Daniel Bryan stuff. We can talk about that. Whatever way you want to go. Where what direction do you want to go? I'll let you have the floor here with about an hour or so left. So Daniel Bryan has resigned. Um, I suppose that's the next biggest story on the docket. So we should do that. As expected, he has resigned. But the the, the interesting nugget that came out to me was that um, uh, Brian uh, 
revealed that he found out recently, and here's the quote, quote, what we just found out recently is that they have an option year, end quote. They could have held him another year, even after, am I reading this correctly? It's, it's it kind of the Rey Mysterio thing that we, we, we got a lot of publicity a few years ago. People kind of forgot is that, yeah, when you're injured, they have this weird option thing that they can do where they say, oh, well, you didn't work for a year. So now, no. I was aware of that and that they pull that with people. But what I wasn't aware of is that everyone was assuming that he was free and clear on September 1st. Right. And this new information is that that is not the case. They could have exercised this option due to this clause in his contract that would have legally allowed WWE to keep him for one more year beyond and basically until September 1st, 2019. And that's new information. And that very well could have affected his decision to resign. I don't know if that's the case. Um, for him to bring it up, though, you would think that that would have had to be part of the um, part of his thought process, right? I mean, look, if they didn't clear him to wrestle, he was leaving. I think that's pretty obvious because he wanted to wrestle. So they cleared him to wrestle. Uh, me and you both agreed that that's just was not coincidental at all. Okay, they cleared him to wrestle because they didn't want him to leave. Okay, uh, I, I will. I will go to my deathbed thinking that's the of case. Of course, no, it's not a coincidence. It's all a fucking scam. They don't, they don't do anything in coincidence. They don't give a shit about him or his head or anything else. They cleared him so he wouldn't leave. Okay, we all know that. You gotta be an idiot not to think that. Right, it's, it's just contract negotiations. Yeah. What is something that he wants? He wants to wrestle. Okay. He wants to wrestle. Yeah. Okay, well, all of a sudden, he's he's cleared. It's a miracle. Your head is fine. I mean, it was it's total bullshit. Um, so they give him that. They can they give the concession on that. Now, if he would have decided not to resign September 1st, they probably would have held him and he probably knew that they were going to hold him to that additional year. And uh, so he probably figured, you know what? You know, I'm on the fence anyway. I, and I'm just – look, I'm just giving you my, my take on this. Fuck it. I might as well just resign. You know, it, it's, 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 it's not the worst thing in the world to resign anyway. I was, he may have been leaning in that direction to begin with. But the fact that this extra year was hanging over his head, that's new information that we didn't know about. So uh, that's what I found interesting about that. So uh, could that have been part of his thought process? I, I think it could have been, yes. But uh, Daniel Bryan resigns. Um, look, to me, he hasn't done a thing of note since he returned back to the ring. Um, so I, I simply don't care about the guy anymore. He's, he's, I, my interest in the main roster is as low as it's ever been historically. And the matches that I've seen him have, you know, the WrestleMania match, you know, it was fine. But, you know, it, it, he spent half of it laying on the floor. Um, the big cast feud was a complete waste of time, uh, which we already did a victory lap on. Um, the Miz stuff has not been particularly great. I, you know, It's amazing to me the lack of heat that feud has, considering how hot it was before he got cleared. Oh, it was, that, that molten, that, that talking smack thing, it was molten. People were yeah. dying to have that now, and now it's just kind of... They hadn't fucked around with Big Cass and maybe went right to it. Um, it but, but, I mean, I was shocked at how quiet the crowd was at SummerSlam for that mm-hmm. match. And, you know, now they're going to do a mixed tag, which does nothing for me. Couldn't care less. And uh, I really don't care about that feud at all. And I really don't care about Brian at all. This way. You know, he had a match against All Miss on SmackDown two weeks ago, which, of course, you know, the Miz ran down or whatever and interfered in that. I think they had a rematch that I haven't seen yet. He's done nothing to move my needle. Has Daniel Bryan done a thing that's interested you since he's come back? Really has not. Yeah, and that's been one of the disappointing things. Is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, and it's just kind of he feels like just a guy in the roster, a, co- a cog in the wheel well, right now. And, and that's yeah, and that and that's exactly what they've positioned him as. It's just another guy in the roster, and that hurts because like there was there was time where he wasn't even that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there was time in, in WWE where he felt like special, he felt different, he felt unique, he felt 
truly like Brian Danielson. Daniel Even Bryan, when whatever. they didn't think he was special, right. he felt he did. Now he doesn't. I and and that's now a little bit. You know, the, the the matches have not been great. The feuds have not been good, and and it just feels like he's kind of just a guy now. And I don't know if like now that he's resigned. Again, people have it in their heart of hearts and their minds of minds that all of a sudden now they're going to, you know, light the fire. I don't think so. You know what I mean? We kind of know what they think of Daniel Bryan and where they've kind of positioned him. So I'm not about to run a victory lap and go, okay, I cannot wait now to see what they do with Daniel Bryan because, you know, there were times where he was healthy and they didn't do shit with him or they did stupid ass shit with him. So I don't know. I'm not too excited yet. And I just haven't seen enough in ring. Uh, that's really got me fired up either. But I hope. I mean, he's, he is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, and it'd be the best thing in the world if he just gets full reign and just goes out there and kills it on SmackDown every single week. But, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see on that. I'm not, uh, you know. Look, here's the thing. He's going to have some great matches eventually. He's going to have some great feuds eventually. He's going to be in the main event mix at some point. All those things are going to happen. I can't tell you I'm particularly excited about it. He's done nothing to this point that has that has excited me or, or gotten me into that. He's just a guy on the roster, like you said. Um and all of those things will happen eventually, um, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm not disappointed. Would I prefer that, you know, he's wrestling Blue Panther in a hair versus hair match in Mexico and and facing Walter and facing uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and working the G1 next year or, you know, wrestling David Starr somewhere in England or, you know, working a Rev Pro show and, uh, you know, showing up at, uh, at PWG or working AAW or doing a couple shots for his pal Gabe. Yeah, I would greatly prefer that. And I'd be all juiced up for that. And I think that would be really fucking awesome. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're ever going to get that. So uh, this is what we got. Now we're at a point where instead of highly anticipating every move that he makes and everything that he does and being a difference maker on the heels of all in, becoming one of those difference makers uh, to get some other uh, you know, uh, places going and, 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 and help pump up some other scenes, it's, we're kind of robbed of all that. And what we have instead is waiting around for him to have a decent match once or twice a year and waiting around for him to be inserted in a main event feud that isn't sullied by WWE style storytelling and waiting around and hoping that he can have matches with AJ Styles and Almas that don't end in run-ins. And that's what we have now. And that's what it is. And he made a choice that he felt was best for him and his family. And I can't necessarily knock him for that. Um, but, uh, but me as a fan, yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, I would have greatly preferred the other option. So, uh, now we just wait around and we hope for the best and maybe we'll get a decent match every now and then. But so far the returns have not been great. And, uh, I don't honestly, and many of you that are listening, not all of you, um, but many of you that are listening also would agree with that, that, um, in terms of our personal enjoyment as a fan, uh, you know, this was, uh, uh, this was not the better option. Yeah, I mean, like, and I think disappointed is the right way to put it. Is is I just think that he had so much more to offer to the wrestling world yeah. that it's disappointing that 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 he just went back. And, and like, hey, if that if he got a good deal out of it, if if he got everything that he wanted in his contract negotiations, and he gets to do a, a reduced schedule and all this sort of stuff, good for him. You know what I mean? Like, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the man, Brian Danielson. But I just I'm, I'm disappointed because I think he could have been a difference maker, as you said. I think he could have offered so much more to the wrestling world, and now. There is going to be that weird sort of, okay, well, now, you know, what's next? It, it, to me, disappointment's the right word. Like, I, I'm fine with it. You know, if that's the decision that he made, I, again, I can't knock it, like you said. If that's what he thought was best for him and his family or whatnot, yeah, of course, you got to do what you think is best for you and your family or whatnot. But as me, the fan, as us, the, the Voice of Wrestling podcast, you know, whatever, I, I'm disappointed because I think he has so much more to offer, like you said. There is so much more different things and different avenues and different companies and different wrestlers that he could be facing all across the world and having tremendous stuff that makes it so much more fun for us to come on here every single week and talk about 
and he chose the other way and that's fine you know if that's what he think is is best i'm not here to criticize him or say he's an idiot or do all that sort of stuff disappointed is the right word we as a podcast we as wrestling fans are are, are disappointed we have a right to do that you know what i mean if if we truly believe that you know he had so much more to offer to the wrestling world. And I really do think he did. And, and he's a guy that, that truly loved wrestling, or at least I thought truly loved wrestling. And, and he might still, but he might be doing this decision for a lot of other reasons. So it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. It's over now, and the saga is done. So now we just, you know, sit and wait for those dream matches. So that's fine. We'll be waiting a long time. Yep. All right. So I'm going uh, to shelf the Evolve thing. Double Team Dream is going to be there this weekend. A lot of other stuff's happening. You probably don't care. So. Well, my quick... My- <laughs> My quick thought on Evolve is the Velveteen Dream thing does nothing for me. Um, well, yeah, because you're not going to be in Joppa, Maryland or fucking uh, well, here's <laughs> New the York. Thing. They're not going to see it anyway. Even if I live there, that wouldn't get me to buy a ticket. No. I, I, I don't know. I, that does nothing for me. These WWE stars showing up to Evolve to work dark match, this this whole thing that they do every couple months does nothing for me. Yeah, I, I saw Cedric Alexander, and I was like, all right, cool, Cedric Alexander. All right, and then he was in and out. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, wrestling like a very safe 12-minute match in that nobody gets here's, to see. Here's the thing, Rich. If I'm buying a ticket to Evolve, I want to see Evolve. Right. That's why I'm going. I'm not going to see Adam Cole wrestle a dark match. I don't. I, it, that doesn't do anything for me. I'm not going to be mad about it and walk out. I'll stick around for it, but I want to. I want the evolve experience. You know, I, I don't. I don't care about Velveteen Dream versus Austin Theory. Don't care at all. Couldn't care less. Uh, so from that perspective, I, I it annoys me when they do that. Um, it also the other thing that annoys me is WWE really can't throw WWN a bone and let those things air on their dopey eye pay per view. What's the big deal? I know. You're affiliated with them anyway. No, it's it's such a terrible it's, relationship. It's what would be the big what is it that much oh of an issue? First God, of all, yeah. how many I first of all, how many eye pay per views do you think Velveteen Dream is selling? Right, like fifty. And the other thing is you 60, can't yeah. you can't let Gabe get a little taste. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, you can't like get, get a little taste of a few extra eye pay per view buys. You're, you you really got to be that protective. Uh, if you're letting days. the guy work the show, I really don't understand it's so why it, you won't let it just air. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not like it's an unaffiliated promotion. The guy works for you. Yeah. Can we cut through the bullshit? The guy's booking like two of your fucking network territories, and you can't and you can't you know let him air the match with Velveteen Dream of all people. It's not The Rock. Let's take it easy. It's Cedric Alexander and Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole. These aren't like huge difference makers where you're leaving fucking millions of dollars on the table. You're right. getting a hundred extra nerds to buy their, the show. Yeah, nobody's canceling their WWE network because they can get the Velveteen Dream on WWE Live. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like well, ridiculous. I want 99 for the WWE network, but fuck that. If I can get two matches of the Velveteen Dream for you know $14 right now, I'm, of course, going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, ludicrous. they're running the same shitty building in Joppa, Maryland. They're not running the fucking Verizon uh, Center, uh, or what is that called, where the, where the Wizards play? Verizon Center. It used to be right? the Verizon. I don't know what it is anymore. But Whatever it is. It was a little cap center back in the day, yeah, okay? Yeah. But, I mean, okay? They're not running the fucking uh, Verizon Center. They're running the same shitty building. It's not like he's selling a billion tickets. Capital One Arena, Joe. Capital One Arena. There you go. Yeah, Capital One Arena. They used to call it the phone booth when it was the Verizon. Yeah, I remember the MCI Center was a while too. So I think I think you're actually behind by like two names. I think. They've had a million fucking names in that. But I think, so so uh, you know, but but I mean, give me a break. You know that that just that ticks me off. But, know, uh, but you know, yeah, and the re- everything evolves. Our, our our evolves podcast on the Voice Wrestling Network had a very good uh, show uh, this week breaking down those shows. So they 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 do it in more detail than we are going to do right here. But yeah, that's it because we have too much else to get to. So I'm not going to bother with that, Joe. I think it's about the time. 
I was going to let you do the intro because you're kind of the guy that usually does it. So yeah. So are you? Uh, is the editor going to make sure they get in there? I think so. Yeah, I think the, the editor never misses a bounce around Japan. He sometimes misses a bounce around the Indies, but he always nails a bounce around Japan. Okay. Well, then in that case, Rich, I have one question for you. I have an answer. Are you ready to bounce around Japan? And we start off with Dragon Gate. Breaking news. Shingo Takagi, Rich, as has been rumored for months now, it is now official. He has announced that he will become a freelancer as of October 7th, which is really right around the corner. That'll be his last Dragon Gate show as a roster member. It's in Hakata, I assume, at the Star Lanes. Yes, of course. Okay? And uh, on, on October 7th, after that, Shingo is going freelance. Rich, what the fuck is happening in Dragon Gate? Man, it is really bizarre. It, it so I watched the Dragon Gate Corican show from this morning's, uh, and it was a lot of fun. You know, Ben K turns on uh, Maximum, and, and they start talking about adding their own little stable. And Shingo's noticeably absent, and he's not there. And there's a lot of rumors of okay, well, you know, Shingo, uh, maybe they'll have him turn babyface. He'll do this. This own unit will be owned by you know, it'll be Ben K and and and, and Big R who are going to kind of lead this this unit. And, and we're all kind of talking about rumors of Shingo, you know, going babyface or leaving the unit or whatever. And then boom, it's this comes out like an hour after the show drops. It's Shingo in the back. It's a translated uh, uh, press release from Dragon Gate, and essentially just says that yeah, after you know the, that certain day that you said he is going freelance. So that doesn't mean he won't wrestle for Dragon Gate ever again, but it means that he is not a rostered, everyday, contracted employee of, of, of Dragon Gate. So effectively, stuff's not going to surround. You know what I mean? Like he'll 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 pop in, I'm sure, from time to time, but he is not going to be a rostered member anymore. Open to do all Japan. Open to do big Japan open to come to America, open to do whatever the hell comes next, and my god, yeah, another blow uh, to Dragon Gate. Uh, some people speculated the possibility of him going to Shanghai with Shima's crew. He said uh, in a translated promo, we have a, an article up uh, on Voice Wrestling right now as well, uh, Mike Spears, of course, the venerable Iron Mike Spears has uh, going out his own way, uh, the Shingo Takagi leaves Dragon Gate, uh, you can check it out at VoiceWrestling.com right now, where he talks a little bit about that, but uh, Shingo effectively said 120% no, I'm not going to Shanghai, so... Because yeah. there's, it's not even cool, you know what I mean? Like that's, it, it, so if people see this as, oh, it's another guy, you know, Shima's taking. Shingo and Shima aren't really on the best terms either. So Shingo is going to do his own thing. Shingo is, and, and we knew that a little bit when he was dabbling in all Japan. We knew it a little bit when he was dabbling in some other stuff. That this time was going to probably come at some point where he was going to at least start doing some other stuff. I think it's a shock that it's as quickly as he's, it's coming and it's as prominent of him. I'm freelance. I'm, I'm, I'm gone effectively. Buy, I'm out, and and that I think is, is is remarkable. And man, I don't know what is next for Dragon Gate. Man, you have you lose Shima, you lose a lot of the youngsters. You have a just a revolving oh. door of guys after have so much after like years of stability, like 15, 20 years. Yeah, and that's stability. the shocking like, thing. There is clearly some inner turmoil here that hasn't ended with the split. Right, and people kind of thought, okay, that would be it. Okay, now everything's kind of calming down. Everything's sort of smooth. Okay, Shima and his guys are out of here now. There's no more turmoil. Everyone's on the same page. But there's clearly still turmoil. And really, Rich, I have a list for you. This really started when Akira Tozawa left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Akira Tozawa left, and since then, they've also lost the following people off of the core roster. I'm not even talking about foreigners because they come and go. Okay, Kenichiro Arai. Okay, he was an undercard guy who was there for a long time. Uh, not that huge of a deal. Naoki Tanizaki, again, he left under very controversial and mysterious 
uh, circumstances. He's no longer on the roster. As a, as a somewhat pushed commodity, too, about that. You know, we kind of yeah. laughed because he was, you know, carrying around a dolphin and all that sort of shit, but they were doing stuff with him. And then he one day was just gone and he never returned. So, yeah, it was definitely yeah. strange. You know, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he was working uh, Dove Pro for a while and then he just recently toured the UK uh, and, and Europe. And, you know, he was part of that core roster. He's gone. Shimo, like we just talked about, who took T Hawk, Lindemann, and Yamamura with him. Three young wrestlers with potential to move up the card. Uh, T-Hawk's the guy who they've tried to push as a main eventer who was going to get a million more chances. And Yamamura is the big loss because that guy looked like a surefire future main eventer. So they lost those four guys. Katoka, who they lost to injury. Yeah, they also lost Shima. You know, you kind of you glossed over that. Well, yeah, Shima, of course. Yeah. Guy, like the building block of the company, gone. And, and and attendance dipped as soon as he left. They sort of uh, earned some of that back on some of the Kirk and all shows and whatnot. But we saw what happened at Kobe World, uh, which which saw a large attendance dip. And and Corican, where they had something like you know hundreds of straight sellouts, that streak ended when Shima left. And you know it has bounced back to some degree. And then a uh, Katoka through no fault of their own, he had to retire due to injuries. And now Shingo. And you look at that list, and you've got Tazawa. Shima and Shingo, who were either main eventers or guys who were cycled in and out of the main event picture. You've got T-Hawk, Lindemann, and Yamamura, who, who all three, to some degree, people saw as future main eventers. And in the case of T-Hawk, a guy who was a part-time main eventer who just hadn't latched on. And then from there, you had some undercard and mid-card guys. But Rich, for a company that had the stability for like 15 years that Dragon Gate had, to lose that much talent in such a short period of time there's something going on in that company. Absolutely. And that used to be the calling card, too. I mean, I think that's that's the thing is it wasn't just like they lucked into the stability. It wasn't like, oh, wow, we've been stability. It's been like, oh, my God, it's amazing how Dragon Gate keeps so stable, how we have talked. And anybody that was a fan of Dragon Gate would talk about how ridiculous it was that these guys just stuck together through thick and thin. Nobody left. You know, some people would leave here and there, but, like, the core roster would almost always stick together, and they would just continually add new guys. You know, new guys would come up, and, and some of the older guys would go to the background, but they would always restock, always ready, always, you know, prepared for the next wave of guys to come in and get integrated and, and, and do that sort of stuff. And now it's it's kind of hit a dead speed. You're not seeing a lot of new talent pop up. You're seeing some guys here and there that are doing well, but for the most part, you're not getting a bunch of that, like, oh my God, great new talent guys, which was their calling card for many, many years as well. And then now you're seeing like, yeah, stalwarts, like guys that were, you know, Shingo, Shima, and Akira Tozawa were huge parts of that company, gigantic parts of that company, just gone now and not replaced by anybody, not replaced by people internally and not replaced really by people, you know, that, that you can look to the future of like, ah, oh, well, you know what? Hey, they lost Shingo, but this guy is ready to take over. Oh, this guy in a year is going to be ready to take over. It's listless. It looks baseless. And it, 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 it man, it, it's... It's tricky though. They, this is like the super stable number two promotion we talked about for many, many years. It's 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 getting depressing. It really, really is because yeah, it's, and, it's just and not I them. Mean, we're not used to this dragon. Yet. You even go right down to the Gaijins. I mean, uh, Xavier and Wentz, of course, they were Shima's boys, so they left and uh, they left with Shima. And then even Fla- you know, Flamita and Bandito are now no longer affiliated with Dragon Gate anyway. So uh, Bandito, a guy they just started using, and Flamita, a guy who's been working there for what a half a decade. So, um, you know, it even it trickles down to uh, some of the foreigners, too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a situation to keep your eye on because it's, uh, you know, we'll have to see how crowds respond, how the next big show does. And really the Corkins. Corkins really are the temperature of a lot of the promotions in Japan. Right, right. Like the old school and, WWF, you know, Madison Square Garden house shows. That's, that's yeah. what they judge their, their health on is, is, is those. And, and, and Dragon Gate was was the most consistent Corican promotion 
um, in Japan, even more so than New Japan. And, and, and um, you know, we'll, we'll see um, how of all these losses now take their toll moving forward. But it's uh, definitely something worth keeping your eye on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating here. And as I said, definitely want to go and check out um, uh, Michael Spears' uh, thing going 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 his own way. Um, Shingo Takagi, you know, leaves Dragon Gate. Details about, you know, kind of the background of, of Shingo, how important he was to the company at certain points. Uh, some controversies in his career as well. And then, you know, what's sort of next uh, for Dragon Gate? What's next for Shingo? I think, you know, positively, let, let, let's look at maybe Shingo in the sense, you know, what's next for him is, you know, the world is oyster, man. And, and we both are huge Shingo fans. So, I mean, I, I'm... I'm disappointed because I love Dragon Gate a lot, and I love the stability of Dragon Gate, and I want that to be a healthy company. But man, I'm also kind of excited to see Shingo do whatever Shingo's going to do. I mean, he has whatever he could, the world is his oyster. I mean, he can go anywhere now and do whatever he wants, and that's got me pretty interesting. We talked about how much we loved his All Japan run. Yeah, yeah, he looked great in All Japan, and Bola's going to be big for him because he can make some contacts there. And uh, you know, maybe Shina, Shima corners him in uh, in Reseda, and, and and maybe they. Uh, uh, settle their differences and you yeah. can talk them into, you know so yeah it's a fascinating it's, that bullet lineup man is so fascinating now with the, with today's news it's yeah. just added a little bit more wrinkle we'll talk about it next week but yeah there's a lot of moving parts on that, on that lineup i love that lineup just because i want to know what's going on backstage of that show but uh yeah it's 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 gonna be fascinating to see but yeah big japan i know more all japan stuff would be fine with me i doubt he goes to noah maybe he goes to noah i have no idea about new japan i doubt that right now but fuck you can do anything I, like, you man, if he, I, obviously he'd be a, like you know the curious thing for me if he showed up in New Japan is heavyweight or junior. Yeah. And um, I tend to look, I'd love to see him face like Tomohiro Ishii and people like that. Yeah, it's incredible. Whew. You know, and we kind of saw the All Japan thing already. Yeah, you have to fan me down if that happened. That's right up my alley, man. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, we saw him wrestle all the All Japan guys in the carnival. Um, you know, so we haven't seen him face pretty much any of those New Japan guys. So, um, yeah, there's just, yeah. And, and he has great talent. And, um, very curious where he goes. I hope he just bounces around for a year or so and just yeah, pops up great. a bunch of different places. That'd be really awesome. Well, DDT stuff, does some DDT stuff, does some other stuff. That'd be great. Topic number two is uh, Kenta returned to Noah and faced Naomichi Marafuji in the main event on loan from WWE. He wrestled as Hideo Itami. He used the Hideo Itami entrance music. Uh, sumo Hall. And if nothing else, it was great to see Noah draw 6,285 fans to his show to see Kenta and Marafuji. That was something else. And let me tell you, uh, Marafuji won the match, which, uh, you know, it didn't surprise me, but it does tell me where WWE sees Hideo Itami. <laughs> right, to the point where order. they didn't give a shit if he lost right. or won. Yeah. Correct. Um, you know, so, you know... Which, the, by the, the way, the Velveteen that. Dream ain't doing any jobs this weekend. Just keep that note. I I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, but, but you know, they, they didn't care that Itami lost. Um, the the uh, Marafuji wins with the pole shift, and of course they're moving on to a uh, they, they, the Marafuji and Sugera would be the next match, uh, the big, next big match in Noah. But let's focus on this match, Marafuji and Atami. This is the match you were talking about earlier, where it it, it, it kind of connected with me on an emotional level. Uh, I, this is one of my favorite matches of the year. Not one of the best matches of the year that I've seen, but definitely one of my favorite matches of the year because. I watched Kenta make his entrance, and it was like, holy fucking shit. He does still exist. It's no forced facial expressions, no, like, rehearsed, uh, you know, entrance that they have you do in WWE. He was just himself again, and he had that Kenta scowl, 
and the energy of the 6,300 fans in Sumo Hall and the green mat. And he looked so comfortable. He looked comfortable and he looked at ease. And he looked like he was right back where he belonged. And he did his... It was weird because you had this weird juxtaposition of his WWE entrance theme, but the classic Kenta entrance. And, you know, he signed the t-shirt, took it off and threw it to the crowd. And he didn't look like he was playing a character for the first time in many years. You know? Because he just looked comfortable and like he was being himself. And he was in there with his career rival. You know? The man he will always be joined at the hip with. The man he will always be associated with. The same way that Rey Mysterio Jr. in Psychosis and Hiromu in Dragon Lee and Tanahashi in Okada and Masawa in Kobashi and whoever else you want to name. Flair in Steamboat. It's Kenta and Marafuji. You know, they were once the greatest tag team in the world and then they became the greatest rivals in the world. And, you know, and and, and, and Kenta made the big decision to leave and he came back and Rich, it just felt like he was home. And it, and it was so great to see Noah with a, with a large crowd again and some juice and a big show feel. And these two icons of the promotion, you know, in, in the latest match in their, in their series, which I'm sure they'll have another one at some point. And... Was it an all-time great match? No. Was it the best match they've had against each other? No. Was it a match of the year contender? No. But was it one of my favorite matches of the year? Yes, because it it, it it brought me back to a time. Rich, you know this. Noah's my favorite promotion, historically. Always has been. And, and it's like, and these are the two guys. And Kenta especially is my favorite wrestler of all time. And I'm just thinking to myself, he just, he just feels right there's just a vibe and a feeling watching this where it just all feels right and they went out there and had a hell of a match I really think people are downplaying the match I thought it really was an excellent match and you know there was the one minor botch at the end where you know they, they fucked up the first uh, go to sleep so Kenta just picked his ass back up and gave him another one didn't bother me you know because it was just the whole atmosphere and I was like man and, and we're going to go right back to being in front of 300 fans like next week or whatever it is. And it's depressing. And, you know, it made me wish that Noah can get back to that level. And, that, and, and man, it just it was it was a whole bunch of emotions wrapped up into one. There was nostalgia, but there was also um, it, it, just the, uh, the realization that Hideo Itami and Kenta really are two different human beings. Because that was not Hideo Itami in that match. You know, and he didn't forget how to be Kenta because he is Kenta. He's not Hideo Itami. And that's why Hideo Itami has always felt off because it's not him. He's playing a role. And, and, and this just hammered that home for me, you know, and he's not, you know, this wasn't 2006 Kenta or 2009 Kenta, but he was a hell of a lot better in this match than he's ever been in WWE. And Marafuji was right there with him. And I enjoyed the fuck out of this. I watched this with a smile on my face. And I watched this with, with just a weird batch of emotions. I loved it. I loved it. And it really made me want him to go back even more. But at the same time, I don't want to see him go back if it's in front of the shitty indie Corican setup that they're forced to run half the time. Or, or, or in front of crowds of... of 
400 people who don't give a shit. I don't want to see that. I want to see this. And if and if and if he can't have this, and if we can't have this, then maybe it's better off that you know he's doing that he's in a WWE ring screaming about respect me. Kenta doesn't need to tell people to respect them. They just do. Hideo Itami has to scream respect me. This guy just goes in the ring and you instantly respect him. This was just great to see and it felt good. But at the same time with the state Noah's in, I don't know if I want it permanently. It's almost like meeting up with an ex-girlfriend and going out for coffee and having a good time and it leaves you with a smile on your face, but you really don't want to go back for good. Right. You're done now. You're good. You've had your closure. You don't hate them anymore. You're not upset at them anymore, but you're done. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to get that. Love's never going to come back. You know, it's, it's a good moment to kind of close the door on that. And that, that it might be it. Yeah. I, like I enjoyed the match a lot. I maybe didn't hit me on the level that it hit you, but it, I, again, it, it, not every match is going to. And this match hit you in a place because it was Noah. It's one of your favorite wrestlers. It's one of your favorite rivalries, you know, done in front of a hot crowd and stuff. So I absolutely get it why you would think this is one of your favorite matches of the year. And it's, I think, one that absolutely people should watch. And I think, to me, a great closing chapter to this feud. And and, and I kind of had the same thought that you did. That it was like, this is good that he's doing this. I'd like for him to go leave WWE. But, I, you know, I don't know. Like, at, at this point, maybe I'm kind of done with the Tommy, maybe it's been a nice way to kind of close the book on him and, and whatever the rest of his career is, it is what it is. I mean, it kind of sucks because the guy's still, you know, somewhat young and, and still has, I think, years in front of him. But it, it's so hard to know what, what the next step is for, for Adeo or, or Kenta or whatever. Did it but it feel uh, like Kenta to you, though? Like, did it really strike you the way it did me where it was like, holy it shit? It like didn't Kenta's at first and then about five minutes in, it was like, oh, OK, because this was not at all how he works in NXT. It was like, oh, no. I don't give a sh-. Like he kicked. I, I think there was a kick that he did in Marifuji and he got him like square in the ear. And I was like. Fuck yeah! Like here we go. You know what I mean? Because Marufuji was probably like, "Don't give me that weak shit. Fucking kick me, man!" Like you know, and because it felt like the first little while he was kind of apprehensive, and then it was just like about five minutes in, he just got going and started going, and Marufuji's chopping him, and it it probably got him back. It probably snapped him out of it. And went, "Oh yeah, this is how I wrestle. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll fucking kick your head off, or yeah, I'm fucking Kenta. I'll chop the fuck out of you." Like I don't it felt shit. like a Kenta match, yeah, and yeah, I think, and I think he look. I don't think it was an accident. I think he knew he could be himself again in this yeah. environment. Even which just right down to his mannerisms and the look on his face. Yeah, which had it's, to be so It's rewarding. like I always say, he should he should never smile. He does too much smiling in WWE. He's playing a role. You know, and, and it just really felt like vintage Kenta to me. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a great match. You should definitely go out of your way and see them. Uh, it's So the, the entire show was called the Nair, uh, Naomichi Marufuji 20th Anniversary Flight Show. It's from uh, September 1st. Uh, if you want to look for it from Sumo Hall, but yeah, and definitely I can't want to watch wait it. to watch the rest of it because I want to see the rest of the modern Noah guys finally wrestle in front of a, a proper crowd. And yeah, proper no, I can't enthusiasm. Wait and it felt like an old school big time Noah show, and mm-hmm. man, it just I miss it, Rich. I miss it a I lot. Know. Noah, Noah the Reborn is not doing well, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I'm interested in checking out the rest of the show. I saw the Segura and Harada versus Akiyama and Aoki match, uh, the one that went before yeah. it, which is pretty good as well. Definitely one to check out. Uh, but yeah, it was nothing compared to this Mirafuji uh, Atami, which I didn't like as much as you, just on a pure match standpoint, but I totally get the emotion that you felt during it as well. So yeah, it's, uh, that was definitely pretty so, fun. Uh, so Rich, tell me about Minoru Suzuki 
Hikito Kikahara because I did not see it. Yeah, I don't know why I, I saw it. Left rules. I know, man. I don't know why I saw this. I think Taylor from uh, Voice of Wrestling mentioned this. Taylor and we got it. about and, and just quickly, we got about nine minutes, and we got to get to uh, uh, Takeda vs. Jukasai. So yeah, let's tell okay. me about this. So this match, uh, I recommended by Taylor Mainberg, who, who said, "Oh my God, you guys got to watch this main event or whatever." And I'm strapping and going, "Ah, whatever." You know, it got recommended. Taylor's got pretty good taste. Okay, I'll watch this thing. And I'm like, "UWF rules." And I'm not gonna like this. Kakihara doesn't do much for me. I like Suzuki, but we'll see. Match starts. It's got all this pomp and circumstance because this was Kakihara's, you know, obviously his produce show. Uh, this all the pomp and circumstance for him because he's kind of running the show. And obviously, as we mentioned, he came out at Wrestle Kingdom. He's the guy that came out during the Rambo of Wrestle Kingdom. He's returning from cancer and all that sort of stuff. So it's a great story that he's he's back in the ring and doing some stuff. So he comes out. He's got all the pomp and circumstance. The bell rings. He starts trying to kick Suzuki. Goes at him a little bit with kind of classic kicks. If you've seen Kakihari, this is exactly how he worked normally. He's trying to take him down. He's trying to do some stuff. Trying to kick at him. Moro Suzuki just turns around, locks him in a choke. It's over. He taps out in a minute and five seconds. It was, the, it was just like so awesome. Just it's like, oh yeah, like that's how it should have been. And the crowd was initially disappointed by it. This match happened. I forget what it was. A few weeks ago, it was early August that this happened. But uh, if you want to check it out, and 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 Suzuki just taps him out, and the crowd goes like, oh. And then it was kind of like this reaction where they're like, oh, we thought Kakihara would. It's like, oh yeah, but he shouldn't really have a chance to win. It's more fucking Suzuki. Right. And Suzuki Makes just wins, cuts a promo, talks shit to him, and then walks out. And it's like, oh okay, yeah, that's what Moro Suzuki could do. This guy's attorney from yeah. cancer. Minoru Suzuki's in the prime of his career. Kakihara's old. Kakihara tries to kick him and do his old stuff. Minoru Suzuki's not gonna, no, fuck you. I'm gonna choke you out. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> like, pay me. It was just, it was perfect. It's just perfect. Because, like, I imagine the juxtaposition, the reason I wanted to talk about it on this week is the juxtaposition to, like, all in. It'd be, like, essentially Rey Mysterio coming out and doing a 619 to the Bucks and pinning them in, like, two minutes. Like, that would just, you know what I mean? It would never, ever happen. But it was just awesome to see how... And, and everybody understood it, too, in the ring. They were just like, oh, yeah, yeah Suzuki should have beaten him. Okay, whatever, not a big deal. And then Kakari did his promo and did all that sort of stuff. It was just a really fun moment yeah. to watch. So the fans ended up appreciating it. Yeah, it's exactly. Funny because, yeah, yeah. It's funny, because before we hit the record button today, I was like, Rich, I didn't have time to get to Suzuki Kagahara. And you're like, Joe, it was 90 seconds long. <laughs> right. So I was like, well, I probably should have found time for it. But, uh, but I didn't want to spoil it for you because I was like, God, Joe, it won't take that much time. And I, I should have said it'll take that. But then if I said it took a minute, you would have known. If I said it took two minutes, you would have known. So I had to just say, ah, you'll get through it pretty quickly, Joe. And and, and you didn't. But that's all right. So, Rich, this is a deathmatch show. We are officially a deathmatch show, yes. We got one more match to talk about. And By the way, should was, I go to the Nick uh, Cage Invitational tomorrow? Yes, you should. Okay, all right. I think I'm going to go. I might not say the whole show, but I think I'm going to go. So, go ahead. We got our latest Masashi Takeda deathmatch. He's getting some... Uh, some low-level wrestler of the year buzz for all these matches he's putting together. He defended his uh, King of Freedom World Championship. This is uh, from Freedoms. This is a Jukasai produce show under the Freedoms banner. Uh, the Jukasai 20th anniversary. Crazy Monkey Jukasai. Crazy Monkey, and, yeah. uh, He got the title shot here against Takeda. They went 23 minutes and 4 seconds. And Rich, this was fucking awesome. I have no <laughs> idea what you thought about this, but Takeda does it again. Now look, yeah. Takeda hasn't been flawless this year. I watched that entire All Japan Junior Tag Battle of Glory tournament, and he was totally nondescript. Well, yeah, because he's not throwing people through gl- sheets of glass. That's probably why. I hear you, but I've seen some of his other death. The one against Abdullah Kobayashi, I didn't uh, particularly think was any good. Uh, but, you know, obviously the match against uh, uh, Kodaka um, several months ago, I gave that five stars. I thought it was incredible. And I got to be honest, Jukasai, I thought this match was only a slight notch below that one, only because it didn't have the crazy pacing of the Asami Kodaka match. I went four and three quarters on this. I love this fucking match. It was super intense. It was, uh, you know, it, obviously these guys are out of their fucking minds. The one spot where they pulled up the ring boards and replaced it with a pane of glass. <laughs> 
and then Takeda This is the real thing, by the way. This this happened, so... Pulled up the ring boards, replaced it with a pane of glass, and then hit, like, an emerald flosion on Kasai through the glass uh, down to the arena floor. Uh, underneath the ring where Hornswoggle lives, okay? And then uh, Kasai pulls a bed of nails out from underneath the ring. Look, this match was fucking sick. And uh, it was and t- with Takeda, it's always well worked. You know you're going to get that. Ju Kasai has been a maniac for 20 years, so you know you're going to get uh, you know, plenty of sick shit out of him, especially on his anniversary show. Rich, did you love this as much as I did? I did. I maybe not loved it as much as you did. I'm probably about a four stars. I saw some five star uh, going on in our uh, Taylor. I believe you gave it a five stars. Kelly I can't Harris. kill people. I can't kill yeah. them. And I was like, dude, you guys are. I mean, it didn't hit me on that level. The Kodaka one did hit me on that level. That's going to make my match of the year for sure. Yeah. Uh, to get a Kodaka. This one didn't hit me on that level, but man, it was fucking good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, probably four and a half, four and a quarter, right around that range, dude. <laughs> I, I, we're a deathmatch show, man. This guy has got it. Like, Kata has done it. I am officially ad- like i was anticipating this people told me to watch this and i went "Ooh, i can't wait to watch like you know what i mean like i used to begrudgingly watch oh fine i'll watch this death match because you guys told me it'd be good now i'm like oh yeah you can suck it together like i don't know what happened to me this is the b- most bizarre transformation i've ever gone under i fucking loved it i i'm i'm a deathmatch guy now i'm anticipating going to the cage tomorrow what the death fuck yeah, go let Nick Gage. Six years talking about how shitty it is. Takeda's gonna be there. How do I gotta miss him? I can't miss Takeda being, you know, right in my backyard. Are you kidding? Kodaka's gonna be there. Oh, he, oh he's gonna wrestle yes, on that show. Yes, I have oh, to go. Right, bitch, it's a no-brainer. You have to go, yeah, and yeah. you have to. We have to talk about it next week. So anyway, uh, it's become a running joke, but we gotta push these destruction <laughs> matches again. It's gonna Very be. Quick. We're gonna have a show that's Starcade '91 and the Destruction Preview. It'll be years after the Destruction show ever happened, but we're gonna preview, you know, Destruction and Beibu or whatever. <laughs> like, but, 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 but we have to end the show with this. Rich, tonight is Willow Spray and Tomohiro Ishii versus. Oh shit! What's the match? It's a it's a huge tag match tonight, which you did not have highlighted. Oh, I lost it. Yeah, it's, uh, Okada and uh, I forget who the other guys are in. Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's uh, it's it's Osprey and Ishii. Oh, it's against, Omega, uh, Omega, and, and Ibushi. Uh, yeah, the Golden Lovers. It's Golden Lovers versus Osprey and Ishii, uh, which will have happened by the time that everyone, I think, has listened <laughs> to this because that's uh, the seventh, right? Uh, yes, yeah, that'll be that'll be the time this, this show comes out. So, yeah. so, so the rest of it we can push to next week and preview next week, <laughs> which I'm sure we won't get to again. But uh, but don't ignore the first night of this tour where you no. get that incredible sounding tag match. I mean, Ishii and Osprey versus Golden Lovers. You can awesome. probably skip the other Road Two shows. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like find out if there's some good stuff. The other ones, no, this one, the, the, the first one, the seventh. Of course, if you're listening to this now, the show has already happened. That match is probably gonna rock. I mean, I, I doubt that that match is gonna suck. But yeah, the, the other stuff in the Destruction Tour, there is a lot of good stuff. So we will get to that eventually. But <laughs> it's three weeks running now that we have not got to it. But we. September 15th is the destruction of Hiroshima. So we yeah, got, got time. time. We yeah, got time. So we'll do that then. So that's it. So we have bounced around Japan. We have talked about all in. We've done the Shingo. We've done everything. We've done Mike Hogwood. We did it all. So just barely got under here. So anyway, for uh, Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci. Uh, VoiceWrestling.com, VoiceWrestling.com slash forums at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the entire Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, as well and yeah voicewrestling.com slash amazon if you make an amazon purchase i do a little bit of that will help us out uh, and i believe that's it so anyway yeah as i said for joe lanza i'm rich Creech, and we'll see you next time on the voice wrestling flagship podcast take care